pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Roll call, Sharon Dobson. Here. Bob Priest. Here. Tom Lay. Here. Teddy Baker. Here. Tom Jackson. Here. Sheila Tolliver. Ed Sheila. Good morning. Hey, um, Sheila, I understand that you, uh, just so the public is aware, that you participated in a test meeting with uh, Queen Anne County TV. So you're aware of the procedures that you'll raise your hand, as I'm told, in the system. You'll be acknowledged. We will be muted here, and you'll uh, be able to speak. Is that correct? Yes. <laughs> Seems like we have a little bit of lag from what we're doing here. So if you could give us probably just a couple seconds before you start to speak or respond, because we just caught the last part of your response. So. Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, next item on the agenda is public comment. Uh, all of our comments that we have through email and on Zoom right now are for uh, specific uh, projects later on. Perfect. So, hearing no public comment, we shall move forward with the meeting minutes from the March 12, 2020 meeting. Mr. Chairman, I'd like to make a motion that we approve the minutes as written. Second. A motion? Second. And, and a second. Is there any comment? All in favor, say aye. 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 I'm going to kick it over to Sheila. Aye. Aye. Hearing none, minutes approved unanimously. <clears throat> Next item on the agenda is extension requests. Major site plan 05-16-08-0008-C. Mears Point Associates proposing a mixed-use development with 211 apartments. Requesting an eight-month extension. DMS and Associates, LLC. Brennan Tarleton, Senior Planner. No, I'm going to stand. Because hopefully this doesn't take too long. Thank you, Commissioner. If that's okay, yeah, I'll I can't hear you back. He won't be able to hear you. I'll so. um, I'll just well, stand here. We, just, we need you by the mics, okay. please. If you don't mind. Mic. I'm just trying to avoid sitting <laughs> and touching. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Is that good? Thank uh, you. Thank you, Commissioner. It's Joe Stevens on behalf of the Chosen Mirrors. I wrote a letter to Mr. Wisnowski, which I assume that you got in the package. Uh, with the request, Mears had sold, Myzel and Cohen sold the property to um, Safe Harbor Marine. Safe Harbor is a national marine um, company uh, with a, a number of holdings throughout the, uh, the um, country. Um, and uh, 
And uh, the site plan, as, as you know, had, had, had become due uh, to expire. Going back a little bit in time, Mears about a year ago, there about, yeah, it was probably a year, maybe a little more, had negotiated with the county to do a public works agreement where they paid for sewer and water allocation. Their deposits became hard. In other words, non-refundable. They paid about 140000 in non-refundable sewer and water allocation. That allocation uh, agreement and public works agreement requires another payment occur in September of this year, another 10%, which will be about 150000 because the rates go up every year. Um, Safe Harbor hasn't had the chance to digest all this yet. Uh, it is a big company um, and digest uh, whether or not they are going to proceed with the apartment project or bring in a partner or, or what they're going to do and come in here and present that to you. But as I spoke to them, I said, well, you know, you better decide before you pay another $150,000 that is non-refundable. So I suggested to them, and I'm asking you, if we could have an extension until the October meeting, since the payment is due in September, they'll have to make a decision by then. And if they do decide to proceed, we'll be able to come back to you in October with a solid time frame, what their plan is, how they intend to proceed. If they don't pay the sewer allocation, then they're not going to proceed, and my guess is the site plan would then, then terminate. So that's what I've advised them of, and I would ask you for the extension until October so this organization can figure out what they want to do with the apartment development. Any questions from the commission? Thoughts? Hearing none. I will open it up for a motion for an eight-month extension to the October meeting. Actually, it'd be like a five-month extension. Yeah, when I filed this was yes, before was all before. this craziness had happened. So, yes. um, you're you're acceptable, or you're in agreement with a five-month extension. I'm in agreement till October. If you wanted to give us an extra month to November, so we could, you know, in case well, we need to. if they if they pay in September, it's their intent to go forward. And I think they need to have a plan in place. Maybe come back forward. to you with some type of some type of uh, um, strategy on how they're going to move forward and put that past you and see if you're in concurrence. Sheila has a question. I'm going to make a motion. I move to approve a, a five-month extension um, on the request by uh, former Mears Point Associates, now SHM Narrows Point LLC, for major site plan 05-1608-008-0008-C. Discussion. Hearing none, all in favor? Aye. 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 I'll go over to Sheila. Aye. Unanimously passed. Uh, next on the agenda is legislation and legal matters with Mike Wisnowski. Um, he had informed me earlier that he had none. Do we need him to make that official and formal? You have Mike on. Do we need to hear from him? Yeah, just yep. have Mike sure. say he has nothing. Okay. 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 okay.
Good morning, Planning Commission. I have nothing for you this morning. Thank you. Back to the room. Who are all the members of the Zoom? Uh, we have uh, many people that are here for public comment. We, all, we have Sheila joining us, uh, Mike, uh, Sharon, and we also have Brendan in to help out with the first, if, he, uh, if anyone needs to ask questions of him. Okay. Then the rest are public comment. Or here just to watch. Okay. Uh, moving forward, we'll move on to projects. At this time, we have major site plan SP-19. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. My agenda doesn't have anything on it, the new agenda. I go from Mears Point to updates, legislation, and then county-sponsored text amendments. Mr. Shelton, back. Yeah, do you have an extra copy? in the back. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Um, next up will be major site plan SP 19-07-0028 Fisherman's Village 3028 South Kent Narrows Way proposing an 83,262 square foot 120 room hotel with banquet facility. Requesting a shoreline buffer reduction, bonus height, bonus floor area, and major site plan approval. Uh, Rob Gunter, the floor is yours. Thanks. Well, you did part of my work for me introducing the project so thoroughly, so thank you. Very um, well. As you mentioned, the applicant is proposing a, uh, a hotel and banquet facility. Um, I should let you know that they currently have an approved site plan for this site for a hotel and banquet facility. The approved plan is for 82,363 square feet in 99 rooms with parking underneath. Um, so the current approval did not need a bonus height. Um, you'll see it was up to 55 feet. With the parking underneath, they didn't have to request that. They have since removed that parking, which is why they're requesting the bonus height now. So here we are with a county map just giving you a general location of where we are I think everybody's familiar uh, this is in the Kent Narrows next to the crab deck and the Narrows restaurant is on the other side these are the sites well this is the development site these are the parcels involved um, you can see I forgot my mouse so if I hit a wrong button I apologize but parcel 333 uh, where the cursor currently is is the location of where the Hotel structure will be um, off-site parking will be here and here on parcels 329, 494, um, and I'll show you a map of that in a few minutes. These are just some some photos of the well, they're not even current site conditions because the red building is no longer there, um, but this is the location of where the hotel will actually uh, sit. This is the other side. The, the side where the Narrows restaurant is would be on your right where the cars are. This is an area of off-site parking, um, parcel 329. Uh, you can see the green star in the background. That would be the, the hotel site location. This is parcel 494 directly across the street from where the hotel will be. All the properties here are zone WBC, which is the Waterfront Village Center 
and that's basically the Kenton Arrows area. Can you go back to that last slide? Yep. Parcel 494 is the dashed line? A part of it, yes. In the okay. general location, anyway. Okay, thank you. Yep. So what you were looking at right there is this area right here, for that last picture. Obviously, the, the boat. Excuse me. Um, can we have those two gentlemen, Mr. Davis and Mr. Schultz, can you separate six feet at least? Thank you. <laughs> Sorry, Mr. Gunter. No worries. The parcels are all within the Kent Narrows growth area. They are all in the critical area uh, with the designation of IDA, which is intensely developed area, as well as uh, you can see parcel 333 is modified buffer area as well. They all lie within the floodplain. The applicant is raising, has already placed, um, I guess, fill, soil, I'm not exactly sure what it is, on site to raise the building outside of the floodplain as well. So here's a portion of the site plan. The teal uh, outline is the hotel structure in the banquet facility, 120 rooms, 83,000 square feet. Here are the locations of the parking. So starting at 1, this is parcel 494, or 329, I apologize. 41 spaces there. Parcel, or area 2 is parcel 494. That will have 110 spaces, including some that are already existing for the, the boat sales. Uh, see, I told you I'd hit a button at some point. Um, parcel 333, which is the hotel site, will have 33 spaces. And part of the spaces on part area four, which kind of spans the, keep my finger off that pad, uh, spans the crab deck parcel and the hotel parcel. For a total of 206 proposed spaces, uh, the applicant is required 202, so they do need that. Um, in area two, you can see there's a hatched area here. That area is within a um, a county right-of-way that with the previous approval the applicant had a lease with the county commissioners for that parking area and those parking spaces remain open to the public and will do so as part of that lease additionally there's some state highway right-of-way um, along here uh, it's, Jody can confirm but it's roughly 10 feet ish and um, the applicants working with the state to purchase that area. He needs that area for his parking. Uh, we have confirmation that the state is working with him to, to sell the property. I don't know where that stands as of now. Um, but before this plan gets uh, signed, the purchase will be done and complete. So the maximum height for a building in the WVC is 45 feet. The applicant's proposing 52. Um, so they are requesting a bonus height. Floor area. So this one's a touch more complicated. So the star with the one in it is parcel 333. is the hotel site. The WVC allows for floor area permitted by right of 30%, which is 21,772 square feet. The applicant is also asking for a bonus floor area of 8,156 square feet on parcel 333. The WVC also allows for multiple parcels 
to be used in support of a project. So it's like a TDR for commercial floor area. So he's transferring in floor area from the stars of two, three, and four onto his onto parcel one for a total of eighty-three thousand two hundred and sixty-two square feet. Everybody good with that? Okay. And excuse me, Rob, just for clarification before we go any farther. So I understand it clearly that TDR reference you made because those parcels are being used for the bonus two, three, four. There can never be any development on two, three, and four because those rights have been transferred to the primary building site. So there can never. So the air, the floor area that has transferred out cannot be built on those sites. Um, one of them, I think, still remain. I think area four has a little bit of. I have some floor left over. Left. So if they didn't transfer it all out, yes, something else. Could okay. Well, so whatever was transferred can't be. Yes. Yes. Re- reshuffled it Absolutely. for lack of a better way to describe it. Absolutely. We, right. we did leave some floor air on parcel four. Okay. Sheila has a comment. Site four. Um, I, my question was also about floor area. It looks like um, one of the parcels from which the floor area is being transferred is a non buildable parcel. Does floor area. Um, attribute itself to a parcel that's non-buildable. It said it was in the there was water in the parcel. I good, Rip. I'm going to let Chris deal with that. I I believe I have the correct answer for that. I asked Steve. Right, go, ahead. go ahead. So as I understood it, um, there was a determination from the state of whether that was state waters. Um, it is not state waters, so the floor area is transferable. We allow them to calculate floor area underneath that. Um, if that is not correct, Chris, please. No, that's right. Okay. Um, that was probably six or seven years ago that that call was made. <clears throat> is that similar to what uh, was done on the north side of the Narrows with the Mears now SHM Safe Harbor with that little island yes. that was channeled? That and the Vogue Basin as well. Mm-hmm. Right. Because it was dredged. Right. Right. Okay. Uh, Sheila, it's a good question, and, and it is a um, understandably a. Um, Can you get closer to the microphone for us? Only if Teddy moves. Yeah. <laughs> 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 it's okay. It's a good question, uh, Sheila, and one that uh, uh, we t- dealt with at length. Uh, whenever this first came up, it was probably six or so years ago. Um, and I, um, at the time, did a, a fair amount of uh, title work uh, on the property to get a sense of where that uh, water, uh, uh, how that water originated on the property. Mr. Oliver, I had the exact same question, which is why I asked Steve Cahoon, which is the person who did the previous staff report. Sheila would like to respond. I'm just uh, curious whether the finding was um, is available in the law someplace, or is that just another one of these uh, tradition things? No, this is not a tradition thing. This is a law thing. <laughs> All right, Sheila would like to respond. 
I'm just wondering where I would find that. Um, I may have written a memo about it in the in the past. I don't remember. Um, I've maybe Tom Davis can remind us how that water ended up there. It seems to me it was not tidal. Um, maybe it was a borrow pit for for the bridge. I, I don't mm. remember now. But, uh, we did a detailed study with Alex Dolgas, who used to work for the Corps of Engineers, and he evaluated the water elevations uh, of the property and determined that it was not a tidal wetland because it wasn't inundated day in, day out, um, it, it, and was considered a non-tidal wetland, which historically is part of your fee simple ownership right. and you can generate land density whether it's floor area pervious or, or, or whatever uh, okay. so that's well, typically the, I think the question was and correct me if I'm if wrong Sheila <coughs> I recall that now as a non-tidal wetland even though it is wet um, I guess you would call it a lake um, the <coughs> dirt below that water retains its character as private property. Um, and the zoning code with respect to the WVC does not establish a buildability, if that's a word, prerequisite before floor area is transferred from one privately owned piece of property to another. that are commonly owned. We had went through this on the first approval, and the Comfort Inn at the time used the same density. Their Part of their property is also uh, in that same title area. So it's... It not, was, don't call it title. Well, title. that non-title, that <laughs> private land. So that was a determination years ago when the Comfort Inn, and that was in 19... 19- yeah. yeah. So it is a fair question, though, because it came up, Sheila, um, with some regularity years ago in a different context, and that had to do with the transfer of development rights in the ag district, um, and whether a development right mm-hmm. should be tied to uh, a theoretical density, uh, a theoretical <coughs> dwelling unit or one that could actually be built on the land, as some people argued, fairly, that a development right, for example, should be tied to an approved perk site to prove that the, uh, the development right actually represents something that could be built. Um, and that has never been, though argued for from time to time, never been incorporated in the zoning ordinance. And that's it's analogous to what we have here. Are we good? All right, moving on. So as part of bonus requests, the applicant um, must contribute amenities um, to the county uh, for public benefit, uh, amenities or monetary contributions. So in the case of this, um, the applicant is going to extend the Cross Island Trail from the existing trail westward all the way to the waterfront 
um, and connect it with the trail extension that is under the bridge. Um, there will be lighting along the portion of the trail at the parking lot. Spillover lighting there. Um, there will be lighting along the boardwalk that is on the waterfront south of the hotel. Trash cans, receptacles on the boardwalk. Um, in blue, you can see side, sidewalk extensions providing further pedestrian access to the trails that will lead them throughout the Kent Narrows. In addition, the applicants uh, offering a monetary contribution of $37,191.36 to be payable, as you see, uh, $10,000 upon approval from you, $10,000 upon issuance of the building permit, and the remaining funds paid upon uh, certificate of occupancy. I want to know how you came up with the $0.36. Cents. Mr. Schultz, we asked him for justification on whatever it was that he was proffering. Um, in your packet, there is a narrative that breaks down his uh, rationale um, for your purview and approval, basically. Um, do you have the right to approve, deny, request something else, whatever the case may be? <clears throat> The applicant is also seeking a 300-foot shoreline buffer reduction to zero. You can see the purple line here um, encompasses almost the entire site, uh, off-site parking as well. This is not an uncommon request. I think every project that I have dealt with that has a 300-foot shore buffer asks for a reduction. It's um, kind of redundant with the critical area information. Um, but, again, you can approve or deny. Landscaping. In the WVC, there are no set landscaping standards. Um, so this is what the applicant has proffered. Um, the, dot, the colored dots don't mean anything. That's just for my counting to see if they match the landscape schedule. But it also makes it easier for you guys to see. There's a mix of shrubs, grasses, trees, fire retention areas um, that are in the stormwater and such. Um, you can see there, minimal behind the building, uh, most of it's in the parking lot and in the stormwater management areas. So this is the, a part of the site plan overlaid um, on an aerial. It's kind of busy, kind of tough to see. That's why I left the teal on there, but you can see how it lays out on the site and in between uh, all the existing structures. Um, the building is oriented towards the entrance to Kentner's Way South. And here's the rendering. So this would be facing north-ish um, as you would pull up and drop off. And this is the water side. And that's it for me. Um, if you don't have any questions for me, I will turn it over to the applicant to provide further explanation and answer any questions. Uh, one question for you, Mr. Gunther, please, and that's, um, I, saw, I saw that uh, Mr. Porter entered the room recently, and there is um, typically a stormwater report is, as part of the staff package, and I just don't see that here. Just wanted a confirmation that that has been. Thank you. Sheila has a question. I had a question about the um, sign signage 
And um, I was just curious when you measure the signage on a monument sign, whether the um, measurement for the sign includes the uh, brick or whatever monument that holds the sign or for the size of the sign. Um, It includes the portion that has the lettering on it. Um, It appeared that if, if you included the monument on which the sign is built, that the sign that is proposed would exceed the, the sign limits for this area. Um, just you heard? Oh, one second. I'm sorry. All right, good. We have it, a detail. It's, it's, it's just that, yeah, there's a detail, but it, I guess Rob doesn't have it in here. But it's just the uh, the limits of the lettering. It's not the background or you know the brick ornamental uh, features associated with the sign. It's the way the county uh, does it is based off the advertising limits of the letters or logo or, or whatever is on the sign. Uh, follow up. Just wanted to say thank you. There was a, we had did submit a uh, detail, yes. So the, the actual measurement of the sign is just the... the uh, is where it says Hyatt. Yes, and the logo. Yes. Right. Yep. Do you want to see big, this, Bob? I have if one. it was too big, uh, permits department... No, yes. and they'd have to meet county code anyway. Yeah, we have to apply for a separate permit for every sign, even the wall sign that's represented up on the, the top of the, the building there. That's considered a wall sign. So each, each sign on the building and the freestanding sign has to obtain a permit from the, the permit office here in county office. Uh, before we leave this page, if I may, Mr. Gunther, the um, and and if if you can't answer it, I'll defer to the applicant when they do their presentation. But that view that we're looking at here does not show some of those amenities and some of the light poles, and 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 the, so that's that's somewhat of an incomplete view with respect to those amenities. Yeah, I mean, this is the architect's artist's rendition of what the building looks like. If you started adding. Additional information in there just gets busy. I mean, you can see adding the little people in there, you know, just kind of takes away from sure. the uh, okay. um, the uh, the view. But uh, the plan is to install the bollards, lighting, the trash can, benches, etc., that are required, and as represented on the one plan that Rob had. Right. Yes. Okay. I'll come back to that in a bit. But thank you. I have a question, uh, I guess, uh, Tom, of you. On the parking, um, what is, how many spaces do, do you, are you required to have? The code calculations require 202, I believe, and we are proposing 206. If I recall, uh, during the site plan, uh, I mean the original concept plan, I guess it would be, that uh, yacht sales building was going to disappear, and we we're going to use, you were going to use part of that area, additional area for parking. No, the the boat sales building was all part of the original master plan. What it was the, the boat sales building actually used to be, or the use used to be in the the metal building that existed on this site was torn down, and the boat sales operations moved to to that lot and the okay. the boat sales parking is accounted for in our overall calculations based on all of his use 
Okay. The, the main change from correct. the previously approved plan was we originally had, uh, call it under underneath building parking of about 35 spaces, I believe. And when we, the cost of that project just, you know, blew the budget out of the water. So that's why the parking lot there on number one is being proposed to be able to offset the loss of the spaces underneath the building. So that's why the parking field was expanded over there. Our intent is that that parking would be primarily used for employees and, and guests, but be like a, a satellite parking. But that's why that parking field has been added into the project to account for the loss of the spaces on the site that were underneath the building. Okay, thank you. And some of those spots, Mr. Davis, in, in Lot 1, if I recall, that are designated as staff parking? Is that the intent still? Yes, yeah. employee, yes. Employee, sorry. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yep. Other questions? Please continue with your presentation. I mean, I, I don't really have anything to add, Jody. Uh, we've been working with staff on this for six or seven months now, I believe. We filed it what, last summer and have gone through several iterations with staff. Uh, unless you guys have specific questions uh, on the layout, uh, the, the parking on Parcel 2 is very similar to what was, or not Parcel 2, but Parking Area 2 uh, was very similar to what uh, was previously approved. The layout uh, on site where the hotel is obviously changed because we do not have the uh, beneath uh, building parking that was originally proposed. The amenities are, uh, you know, all very similar along the, the waterfront uh, property. We modified the pedestrian connections a little bit differently to, you know, accommodate the the new building footprint. And, um, Jody's uh, proposal is to make that connection there on the north side uh, for a continuation of the trail. It's, it's kind of there in, in existing conditions. There's some gravel along the toe of the slope of the uh, old uh, Route 50 bridge, but this will be uh, implemented by paving it and defining that trail so that people can go. If, if you're not familiar with it, there's actually a wooden boardwalk underneath the uh, old Kenner's Bridge that ties into the parking lot that's located on the north side. This will allow that, that pedestrian connection from north to south, uh, you know, along the waterfront, uh, to, to get to this facility, so. So, do you, you got anything to add, or? Unless you have some questions. Yeah. I've actually got three, maybe two, if I combine. Um, uh, some of somewhat concern of, uh, on reviewing the plans in the lower right-hand corner of the the plan. There, you have cited obviously very close to the waterfront and channelward of that wave attenuation line is the LPG. Uh, Gas storage, as well as your generator, are there elevations that they must be set at to get them out of the... The generator, yes, will be elevated above the 100-year the floodplain. I'm not sure about the propane tank. I'm not sure if that has to be as long as it's strapped down properly. Okay. That's so it's an above tank, assuming? Yeah, there, there's, there's um, guidelines and rules for strapping that down, so it'll have to be augered in with straps okay. and such. It, just did, or oil tanks, it so. seemed like an odd, maybe not, odd, well, maybe not the right currently word. Currently, where the, the propane tanks for are for the uh, existing Crab Deck restaurant, they're okay. actually, I don't know, what, six yeah, they've bottle been tanks? There, they've been there for probably 30 years, actually, at the, at the Crab Deck. We put them against the side of the building there. So it was really trying to find a place for 
The unsightly stuff. Sure. And that's certainly one of them. And, but just typically the unsightly stuff isn't right on the waterfront. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah um, that's kind and of a crappy corner because the crab deck dumpster is the there. The trash grab for the uh, yep. crab deck is underneath like a lean-to there. And then there's uh, two or three electrical transformers that have been installed with you know proper elevations. If you go out there, it's a big, I don't know, five-by-five five, uh, transformer mount that was installed to serve this uh, facility. Okay. And is there any screening then, channel word of that? There absolutely will be okay. some screening. Great. And um, <laughs> thank you. Appreciate that yeah. answers. Um, going back to my initial uh, question about lighting on the waterfront uh, promenade side of the proposed project. There you go. Um, there has been cases over time in, in previous uh, jobs that I've held. There's a great deal of concern by the boating public of noise, not noise, uh, light pollution coming going northbound into toward the Narrows from Prospect Bay, Eastern Bay area. And I'd just like you please to comment, if you would, on the type of lighting that you plan to install here so as to reduce that light pollution that is of uh, safety concern for the boating public. Obviously, there have been accidents and unfortunate uh, deaths associated with um, uh, boaters uh, mistaking or not being able to perceive that, that jetty, uh, excuse me, the breakwater uh, that's sort of angled toward the uh, yacht club, uh, and I, I just I want to make sure that we're not adding to that light pollution and, and visibility navigational hazard concern. The lights along the boardwalk uh, are boller lights, low-level lights that are only, I don't know, three to four foot high, so the boats that are in the slips and the slips themselves will probably shield that light. Uh, these are just, I don't know, you know, like a six-by-six six boller light that's and it, the intent so for is pedestrians the, walking, pedestrians, not so much yeah, it's to not, light. It's not street the space lights, half the room. And then, of course, the parking lot lights will be shielded by the, the building itself. And so, there's nothing sort of. There's no big mercury lights proposed on the on the waterfront facade at all. Anything I mean, like that. There may be some down lighting on the building, but you know, the they're just that. They're be able to see, projected see, down. See the building, differentiate that between some or marking or buoy or navigation. Yeah, I, I mean, I see from your your um, lighting diagram, um, but I, I just had to ask because there um, there and have that, been and concerns. And that detail is actually specified, I believe, in the Kenner's Development Foundation about providing baller lights along the waterfront, and it's a detail that has been used on other similar applications. I believe the Hilton Garden Inn used it around their perimeter. I have to go back and look, but uh, <coughs> that that's a, a defined detail that's been used. To, to, to the, for, for pedestrian uh, sure. safety only. Right. Well, I, you know, I, again, we, we often forget that there a tremendous amount of vehicular traffic goes through here, but also aquatic oh, yeah. uh, uh, boat traffic. Cool. And uh, I just don't want to make an already um, troubling concern uh, worse by adding more of that you know, distraction from the navigational uh, hazards in the area. Like I said, that's pretty low-level lighting, okay. and you know, if you're out in Eastern Bay coming through there, I doubt if you'll even be able to see it. Right? Certainly because it'll be pointed from the bulkhead inward to light the trail. Right, or from the top of the bollard sort of down. Down, it'll be down lighting. Yeah. Right. Uh -huh. Thank you. Your banquet facilities. What capacity would they have? Uh, we think we're probably going to be able to have weddings up to 250 people. We reduced that from a previous uh, approval we had because we felt like the other one was too big. 
So we gained some more rooms and reduced our banquet facility size. But 250 people, and your average wedding isn't really much more than any more 200 people. Yeah. Ever have weddings again? <laughs> An average wedding is 100, 150 people normally. Hey, have some divorce parties. This is all over. Have <laughs> something. <laughs> so we we just we were our, our goal was to gain more rooms and reduce our banquet size a little bit because we felt like we had really over overdone that on the first project. With respect to the limit of disturbance on that waterfront, is there is super sill fence required across that stretch? We have uh, installed, there is super sill fence installed to date, as Rob alluded to. There's been a fill consolidation to address the floodplain. Right, I've seen uh, that. Yeah. Okay, I just so had, hadn't noticed the super I'm sill pretty fence. pretty sure it's super sill fence along the waterfront. It's been up, we've had that up since we started hauling the dirt in. It was required on the... Uh, on the permit we had for the fill. Okay. And also to address concerns with the Department of Public Works about sediment-laden runoff, we they put like a layer of stone to stabilize that. That's what you see out there. I think Rob said something to the effect of dirt or something else. But there's a stone layer on there that also helped retain uh, the soil from eroding. Okay. Any other questions of the applicant? We, we um, was the height fifty-two feet? Is that what it was? I was thinking it was a fifty. Yeah, it might have been the height to the the midpoint of the roof or whatever. It says the existing approval was fifty-five. Existing I was 55, confused why you're. Yeah, there's a fifty. There's a mention of both fifty-two and fifty-five yeah. on page six the, and seven. Fifty-five is the existing. The current approval is up to 55 feet. And, the pro and this new proposal is to 52. Yeah, that's the midpoint of the roof is where we measure. Right. Okay. Kind of weird, but. And they're increasing from 199 to, or from 99 to 120 in the room. Uh, one last thing. Um, sorry. Um, I'm not sorry. One last thing. Um, and, and Mr. Gunther, in your report, and again, if it's more appropriate for the applicant to respond, that's, that's up to you guys. Um, with respect to the uh, State Highway Administration purchase, that right-of-way, that's an easement that obviously you need to get to your parking. Um, I guess this is more of a procedural question. Do we just simply place a contingency upon that as, a, as an approval that if SHA does or does not trickle down? That's... Uh, <laughs> That's what, uh, uh, what's the word I want? I, we didn't have a meeting last month anyway, but there was talk about this project being on an agenda last month if there was an agenda for last month. Um, and uh, at that time, uh, Jody didn't have a written commitment from SHA about selling the, the pieces that we're talking about. He does now have it. So that would be a condition, obviously, of site plan approval because he can't meet right. – Parking requirements without that, but SHA is committed in writing to it. So, okay. we we have a letter from State Highway. We've actually done a plat that will show the the land to be transferred from the State Highway to um, the Schultz development, uh, and the state has reviewed and approved the plat in accord with their standards. And then there's been an appraisal done, and I think Jody is just going back and forth trying to negotiate the dollar amount on the down the to the details. Of, you've got the yes, commitment yes. letter saying they are indeed going yes. to. Yeah. Yeah, it's Granted, it's just a matter of that devil that's in the detail. 
Well, they don't. They don't grant easements. Um, what we found out, they they were very receptive to selling the property. So we're kind of negotiating the. You can imagine we're a little bit apart on what they think it's worth and <laughs> what we think it's worth. So we're just going through that now. Um, should have it done hopefully in a couple in 30 days. I'm hoping. You know, they just go through the public works for signature. They have to review it. We'll probably go back and forth on on some things. But um, there's nothing. That, there's no reason why they feel like they need the property. They're just um, we just we're disagreeing on the value. Sure. So, so um, my my question is in reference to the amenities that you're offering uh, for the bonus density. Um, the extension of the Cross Island Trail, the lighting trail and boardwalk, and the benches, trash receptacles um, along the boardwalk. Those are items you're going to provide um, to the county in addition to the monetary contribution, correct? I don't have that letter right in front of me, but yes. I, yeah. Okay. So it, the, in the slide that was presented, um, it was a little ambiguous as though maybe that 37000 covered that aspect so no, that was in addition 37,000 is a monetary contribution that's above and beyond the trail the, the amenities that yes. are being provided yes. okay i just that, wanted to make that's sure right that. out of the code that's that's written in the code we followed that it's two percent of construction costs on that so but i don't question the cost i just wanted to make sure that that money wasn't going to be used to pay for the extension of the trail and the boardwalk and you could you could say it does <laughs> no, no, that's why I asked for clarification, Mr. Schultz. That'll go. That 37K will go pretty quickly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and just to clarify, the plan set does say 52 feet for your. Okay. Life. But the elevation drawing had that on there. Oh, I don't know. I don't have that with me. I didn't have these with me. I had to borrow them. For some reason, I thought I that the, the elevation drawings had a different height on it. Uh, Mike would like to make a comment. Yes, I, I would just like to go back to the monetary contribution. I just want to make sure that the uh, the proffering of that contribution, is it going to be all at one lump sum? Is it going to be a payment over time? And that that should be made some type of condition of approval. So I guess the question is to Rob, uh, is that in writing that it's going to be a, a lump sum amount or is it going to be prorated through time? It's prorated in time. So on this slide, there are three installments. Uh, the first two, $10,000 a piece, and the last one's the remaining 17000 So the first payment is upon planning commission approval. Second payment is upon issuance of the building permit itself. And the last payment is upon issuance of the certificate of occupancy. So there's definite timeline. <clears throat> Give a big thumbs up. <laughs> Is there anything you'd like to add, uh, Mr. Davis and Mr. Schultz? You just seem to have some concern about that height, I guess. Yeah. And maybe the 55 is, is reflective of what we had, but... Um, maybe maybe we could just say instead of 52, maybe we go to the 55 just so we're covered in case we 
missed something in there. Do you have the, the actual black and white elevation drawn? No. I don't have a file. Okay. May I? I get approval for 52, and then we go, oh, crap. We already had approval for 55, right? Before we did, yeah. But so. this is a significant change yeah. to the site plan. Three feet, it probably. I don't know. Maybe we're wrong. We don't. We don't seem to have that that height uh, elevation here anywhere. But I would say maybe I took that off an architectural us, drawing. Maybe but. consider giving us the fifty-five instead of the fifty-two, just so we're covered. It's but not that we're going to change anything. Does the application call for? We, can, you know, <laughs> plan say fifty-two to midpoint. That's what the plan okay. say. And what the engineer did. Well, the no. plan was was a yeah. I'm, that's my comment. I don't know. Is there any other questions for the applicant or of uh, of Rob? Hearing none, we will now open it up to public comment. We had an email from Andrew Hansen. I'm a resident of QA's County and was born on the eastern shore of Maryland. I very much support redevelopment in the general and specifically the Fisherman's Village site. Infill redevelopment that provides new jobs both long and short term, plus better protection of the shore to include SWN, which the current site does not, is a great thing. I further very much support the shoreline buffer reduction, bonus height, bonus floor area, and major site plan approval. Development in any community is not an easy task. Can we have a mechanical? Uh, John, do you see off? Uh, John, I think it's coming from here. It's coming from in return. Turn the heat up, down, something. We don't have access to turn our own heat in here up and down. Personal. Building maintenance. <laughs> Energy. <laughs> Energy required. Yeah. For sweating us out. Yeah. Don't worry. So, um, yes, if, can you try and reread that? Maybe speak a little louder. It's, yeah, it is quite a bit. All right. From Andrew Hansen. I'm a resident of QA's County and was born on the eastern shore of Maryland. I very much support redevelopment in general and specifically the Fisherman's Village site. Infill redevelopment that provides new jobs both long and short term plus better protection of the shore to include SWM, which the current site does not, is a great thing. I further very much support the shoreline buffer reduction, bonus height, bonus floor area, and major site plan approval. Development in any community is not an easy task. For our fine county to move forward, we need to create meaningful development that will attract patrons, foster the bay, increase or add to the tax base, and be destinations for years to come. Thank you. And that's all for this plan. <laughs> Timing. <laughs> is there any other public comment? Not for this one, no. So are the uh, citizens allowed to raise their hand at this time, type in like in a chat to create a yes, public if, comment? if any citizen would like to uh, make public comment, we do have our chat open that they can contact me or any of our other hosts. Okay. So we'll give them just one minute in case they're typing. Make sure we have no public comment. 
fun. <laughs> Definitely interesting. <laughs> to help fill the gap, I attended the American Planning Conference uh, remotely a couple weeks ago, and the first topic was actual public hearings, uh, public or planning commission meetings uh, done remotely, um, and it's they were very much in touch with making sure that you get as many members as possible, make sure their Zoom works, make sure they have connectivity. And uh, one of the key focus points was making sure that the public had ample opportunity to comment, um, especially in public hearings. So very sensitive to that want to make sure that they have their opportunity. So hearing none, do we have any? We're good to go. Okay. We will close public comment. Um, so, Commission members, we have four items for consideration. Uh, we'll take them individually. We have the shore buffer reduction, the bonus height request, floor area bonus request, and finally the site plan approval. Um, so, with that, I will open up the floor for the shore buffer reduction. Am I, are we on here? Okay. The 300-foot shore buffer, there's members of the Planning Commission that uh, probably have never heard of that, as it doesn't come up very often. Uh, am I close enough? Uh, Can you talk louder? Just combating this thing again. 300-foot shore buffer was something that the county uh, tried out in the late 80s as a response to the Critical Area Commission's uh, new um, uh, standards uh, in the hope that the 300-foot shore buffer uh, created by the county uh, would allow the county not to Im impose what it at the time thought was the over-rigorous standards in the 100-foot buffer. Uh, needless to say, that effort didn't work. Uh, at, nevertheless, the 300-foot shore buffer remains as a bit of a vestige of uh, early critical uh, uh, the county's early response to the critical area uh, regulations, and it's just never been removed. It doesn't really do anything except produce requests that it be modified, um, and. My memory is, because it doesn't come up very often, correct me if I'm wrong, somebody, if the property uh, that is under consideration is impacted by more than 50% by the shore buffer, then it may be modified by the Planning Commission. And obviously, uh, we don't have the purple line um, up on, there you go, obviously, uh, these properties are well over 50% impacted by the 300-foot shore buffer. Uh, this area of the county is buffer-exempt, though that's now called modified buffer area, um, so that there can be new development in the buffer, um, particularly where lot coverage already exists, which is the case here. Thank you for that, Mr. Drummond. So, 
I will entertain a motion for a shore buffer reduction. I'll make the motion. Resolved that the Planning Commission regarding the request by Schultz Development LLC to reduce the 300-foot shore buffer on parcel 333 to 0 under 18, paragraph 18, number dash number 1-67.B, parenthesis 3 out of parenthesis, and as more particularly described in Planning and Zoning File SP number 19-07-0028, hereby finds. The proposal is entirely within a growth area as identified by the Kent Narrows Community Plan. Number two, the WVC permits non-residential development and this proposal is large scale. Number three, without the reduction, the development would not be possible as the entire developing parcel is within the 300-foot standard buff- shore buffer. And hereby grants the requested reduction. Second. I have a motion and a second. Any discussion and or comment? So, um, for voting purposes, uh, we will vote here uh, in the in this forum, and then go to Sheila. So, all in favor of the shore buffer reduction? Aye. 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 Sheila. Aye. That is unanimous. Thank you. Now take the bonus height request. I'll make a motion, Mr. Chairman. Resolved the Planning Commission regarding the request by Schultz Development LLC for approval of a bonus height under Section 18 1-26 N as in Nancy 1 C 2 and is more particularly described in Planning and Zoning File SP number 19-07-0028 Hereby finds per Section 18, 126N2C1, 2, and 3. One, that the proposed development is consistent with the overall development scheme of the Kent Narrows Community Plan. Two, that the proposed development will not overburden existing public services, including parking, water, sanitary sewer, public roads, storm drainage, and other public improvements. And three, that the proposed development will not create a threat to the public health, safety, or welfare, hereby grants the bonus height of up to 52 feet. I'll second that. I have a motion and a second. Is there any discussion? Yes, sir. I have a question, please. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't get the full answer about the 52 and the 55. I had to text my architect, and he said 51 feet 4 inches. And that's what we rounded it up 52. to 52. So you're comfortable with 52? Yes, sir. Okay. Thank you. Any other comment, discussion? All in favor say aye. 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 Ms. Sheila? Aye. Thank you very much. That is a unanimous approval and bonus site request. Floor area bonus. I'll take that one, uh, Mr. Chairman. Okay. Floor area bonus request. Be it resolved that the Planning Commission regarding the request of Schultz Development, LLC, for the approval of floor area bonus on parcel 
number 333 under 18-1-26N1C1, and is more particularly described in the planning and zoning file SP number 19-07-0028, and hereby finds per 18-1-26N2C12 and 3. Number one, that the proposed development is consistent with the overall development scheme of the Kent Narrows Community Plan. Number two, that, that the proposed development will not overburden existing public services, including parking, water, uh, sanitary sewer, public roads, storm damage, and other, other public improvements. And that the proposed development will not create a threat to the public health, safety, or welfare, and hereby uh, grants a Florida area bonus of 8,156 square foot for parcel 333. Second. So I have a motion and a second. Is there any discussion? So, um, I would like to make an amendment to that motion, uh, if possible, to make sure that that includes um, Mr. Schultz's commitment of the payment of $37,191.36. That, oh. that comes on the next motion. Oh. In the, uh, the site plan approval, one of the conditions is for the bonus amenities, and it spells out his payment uh, oh. amounts next. and timing, if you'd like to leave it on that one, or both. Uh, I, I'm going to refer to... To uh, Mr. Drummond, because it specifically is tied to the bonus height. What does it matter where it's at? As long as it's somewhere. Okay, then I withdraw my my amendment. Yeah, it's in the site plan approval. I just okay. I'll withdraw it as per council's. Uh, Mike has a comment. Pardon me. Mike Wisnowski has a comment. Okay. I just have a question again for Rob. Does the um, condition of the funding, does it designate, designate how that money is to be spent? Is it to be spent in the Kent Narrows? I'll read you the condition. We're kind of getting ahead of ourselves. But the condition says the public amenities offered for the bonus requests are provided as enumerated in the applicant's narrative dated March 26, 2020. The monetary contribution of $37,191.36 is to be paid to Queen Anne's County and used in accordance to 18126N2A1B for public open space improvements of public land, public art, or heritage signage within the Kent Narrows. And then it lays out the, the amount of the payments and the timing. I'm going to go back to Mike. I just wanted to make sure that that provision was in there because we had a an issue with the Botel uh, payment uh, a couple of years ago because that wasn't really clear enough. So I just want to make sure it's it's clear this time. So thank you, Rob. Back to the room. All right. Thank you. So we have a motion and a second. I've withdrawn my uh, amendment at this time. Is there any other discussion? Close the discussion. All in favor, say aye. 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 Thank you. All in favor? 
And finally, we have the site plan approval. I'll do it. Green Hands County Planning Commission hereby grants approval subject to the following conditions. Uh, State plan approval. Resolved that the Planning Commission regarding the request by Schultz Development LLC to construct an 83,262-square-foot, 120-room hotel with a banquet facility utilizing height and floor area bonuses and as more particularly described in Department of Planning and Zoning File SP Number 19-07-0028 hereby finds this plan to be consistent with goals and objectives of the Queen Anne's County Zoning and Subdivision Regulations, the 2010 Com- Comprehensive Plan, and the 2006 Kent Narrows Community Plan. And hereby grants deny, uh, approval subject to the following conditions. The building constructed must be substantially consistent with the architectural drawings and elevations provided for approval. Number two, all parcels involved in this application be titled in common ownership and the site plan be revised accordingly. Three, any remaining edits or documents required by the Department of Public Works and Planning and Zoning be reviewed and approved. Four, all required legal documents, including off-site parking agreements as per 18-1-26H1B and pedestrian access easements must be approved, signed, and recorded. Number five, any issues regarding parking within Queen Anne's County or the state of Maryland rights-of-way are addressed to the satisfaction of the county and the state. Six, the public amenities offered for the bonus request are provided as enumerated in the applicant's narrative dated March 26, 2020. The monetary contribution of $37,191.36 is to be paid to Queen Anne's County and used in accordance to 18-1-26-N2A-1-B for public open space improvements of public land, public art, and or heritage signage within the Kent Narrows. Payments are to be made as follows. A ten thousand dollars paid upon planning commission approval. Got your check, Jody. B ten thousand dollars paid upon issuance of building permit. C seventeen thousand one ninety one thirty six paid upon issuance of certificate of occupancy. All required bond sureties review and inspection fees must be submitted to the Department of Public Works and the Department of Planning and Zoning as appropriate. And number eight, all required signatures must be attained. Second. I have a motion and a second. Are there any other questions or comment? Mr. Chairman, I think we should add some findings from staff report to complete the motion. And I would like to add those as follows. The applicant has proposed to construct a waterfront boardwalk along the entire waterfront on the developing property and also provide a north-south pedestrian connection from the boardwalk, I'm sorry, from the sidewalk leading from Kent Narrows Way south to the waterfront and the boardwalk. Legal documents allowing pedestrian access in perpetuity must be recorded. Renderings have been provided representing the proposed architecture of the building. Section 5.4. Point two references Kent Narrows Community Plan and the Comprehensive 2010 Comprehensive Plan, 
And the 2006 Kent Narrows Community Plan uh, has several exhibits um, of existing land being shown as commercial. Uh, water service area is pursued, per, excuse me, is proposed. And water and sewer service are currently proposed. Um, thank you. Thank you for those uh, additional comments, Commissioner Lee. Um, I will second. As a point of point of information, does that need to be in there when it's when we've asked for the approval? The, the plans must be approved, and they're already on the plans. Just as a point of information, not not Oftentimes, the change. Oftentimes, um, in the site plan, you might have said this. Um, often with site plan approval, there is a condition. There is a condition that the uh, structures are built in substantial conformity with the architectural rendering supplied. Did was that? Yes. Did yes, you say that? Absolutely. All right, um, and I don't have a problem with the either the motion or at least the record reflecting that the findings of fact that support site plan approval are are made clear. I don't have a problem with that. Okay. No, I, I don't know that it needs to be in the motion, was, but I was asking would the motion have been okay the way it was and it would follow through. Yes. Okay. I will second the amendment uh, from Mr. Lee. Are there any comments regarding the amendment? Hearing none, um, we can vote on everything as a package. So all in favor, say aye. 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 Opposed? Oh, sorry, Sheila. Aye. Good. Sheila? You said yes. I didn't hear it. So that is a uh, unanimous dis- determination and vote. Congratulations, Mr. Schultz. Thank you very much. It's been a six-year process, so we're finally here. But thank you for your patience. <laughs> Staff's been great to work with. Um, so we're starting that thing hopefully this fall. Thank you. When are you going to start, Jody? Mr. Schultz, thank you. Hopefully this fall. Thank you. This fall. Because it's such turmoil now between the banks and the contractors, but we're hopefully going to start this fall. Just depending on the pandemic. Uh, depending on a lot of things, right? So yeah. It's difficult. It's hard anyway, but this is really making it difficult. So, thank you. Good luck. Thank you. Good luck. Card. <laughs> <laughs> um, so at this time, we're going to modify the agenda slightly. Um, the break was called for after the second site plan, but due to time and us sitting here, we've had a request from the one a couple of commission members to take a uh, five-minute break. Thank you, and welcome back. Uh, calling the meeting back to order. Next item on the agenda shall be major site plan, SP 19-05-0024, the Gardens of Queen Anne's, Phase 2. Mr. Gunter? All right. I'm still here, guys. So Phase 2 of the Garden of Queen Anne's is proposing... Um, a clubhouse, three retail buildings, two restaurants, a pavilion bar, a seven-room inn, a storage structure, and recreational areas. And this is a continuation of their phase one development, which I'll show you in a second. 
Here we are in the county, uh, essentially at the foot of the Bay Bridge, uh, right next to, uh, I believe it's Pier 1 Marine, Marina. So here we can see on the left is Phase 1. Um, sorry. The Phase 1 was approved to have a 54-room hotel, an 18-room inn, and five cottages, dining and f uh, banquet facility areas, uh, a restaurant bar, as well as a spa. So the continuation of that would be Phase 2, which would be just to the east on Lot 2, uh, Parcel 280. It's zoned Airport Protection and Gateway District. It's in the Chester-Stevensville Growth Area. And as you can see from these pictures, it is an unimproved parcel currently. Uh, in the background, you can see phase one, uh, which would be to the east of this. Uh, there's a small parcel, a portion of phase one there now. So this is a portion of the uh, site plan. And from west to east in Teal, we have the uh, proposed inn. Next up where it says phase 2A, that would be the clubhouse. Uh, in blue on the other side of the dashed red line are the two restaurants proposed. The three rectangles in orange are the retail areas. To the north of those in purple, which is kind of really hard to tell, is uh, the storage area. The red dashed line is the phase line. So the applicant's proposing this site plan and asking for approval for the whole thing uh, to build it in stages, though. Everything to the west, so the inn and the clubhouse, as well as the um, recreational areas would be the first uh, construction phase, and the retail restaurants and storage would be the second phase of the construction. In the purple dash circle, you can see uh, there's a recreation area consisting of lawn games, uh, croquet, bocce ball, um, pickleball, things of that sort. Um, in gray, around the recreational areas, connecting to phase one would be bike paths. In green are pedestrian paths and sidewalks, were the major segments of. And that would also uh, connect to phase one. And again, with the phase line, you can see which portion of those would be constructed. Down here along Pier 1 Road, it looks like the sidewalk would stop um, kind of not all the way through the property, but the existing sidewalk does extend into the, the phase two area, so they would join up and meet. There would not be a gap there. The applicant's proposing just over 25,000 square feet of floor area, uh, just, uh, just shy of two and a half acres of impervious surface, both of which are well within their limits. They're required 97 parking spaces. They're proposed to... Um, provide 105 with total build-out, permitted heights 45 feet, and they're proposing a maximum height of 30 feet. So here's the landscaping. Again, the colors don't mean anything except to allow you to visually see um, extensive landscaping. If you've been down to phase one, you, know, you can you know that that's extensively landscaped as well. These will match those plantings, so it'll look like it's one contiguous development, uh, which it is supposed to be. The uh, landscape area totals 2.673 acres, which is well above uh, what's required. Now, this one's really busy and dark. Um, 
but it kind of gives you some sort of semblance of the layout on how it would fit on the property and how it ties into the existing phase one. And you can, re- can kind of make out the pedestrian and bike paths on how they connect to phase one that would allow folks to, to travel in between. There's a, be a couple uh, renderings here. So this would be built in the second stage of this phase. These are the restaurants. Uh, you can see they're they're attached. Um, just give you an idea of the the architecture, which would match currently what's there. And this would be the clubhouse. And that is all I have. If you have any questions, I'm happy to answer. I can go back to any slides if you wish. Or we can hear from the applicant. No bonuses in this one, so this one's pretty straightforward. Any questions for Rob? Hearing none. Mr. Martin, Mr. Davis, take it away. Okay, um, Tom Davis with DMS and Associates. Um, John's vision for this uh, was an expansion of his current facility um, to complement the hotel banquet facility to be able to provide uh, function areas for corporate gatherings, you know, wedding events or whatever. The clubhouse was going to have some interior game rooms, um, possible cooking um, programs, and then the outdoor areas were uh, pickleball, bocce ball, so that whether it be wedding guests or wedding parties or corporate events, that they could use these facilities. The restaurants were going to be more of open to the public, uh, and the retail were also going to be more open to the public features. The, um, the phasing line uh, that we identified would be um, the, the initial construction would be the clubhouse, the uh, outdoor recreation areas, and outdoor bar areas, and then probably later, uh, the residential component, uh, you know, given what's going on in the world right now. So um, pretty straightforward. You know, John's vision was to continue this with a similar architecture, color schemes, landscaping, you know, interconnectivity for parking lots, uh, pedestrian, and so on and so forth. And Rich and uh, Derek Jaynes, the general manager, are, you know, trying to continue with John's vision. So um, been through a couple of reviews with staff uh, at the stack level, and uh, we believe we're to a point of uh, requesting a conditional approval. Uh, given, again, what's going on in the world, we would like this uh, a year on this one because the hotel industry is really taking a beating, and as well as the restaurant. And I don't think yesterday's news was that you could open up. Didn't help us at all. It didn't really help. So, Rich Martin is the. Uh, contractor that's been working on this project with me and and john from day one and if you got any questions on phasing or construction techniques or the plans uh, we'd be glad to answer questions of the commission So the phase two, this was originally, if I recall correctly, where the uh, vineyards were going to go. And the airport um, FAA said, no, you can't do that because of the bird migration and, and the planes. Is that correct? Yeah, his original project was going to be, he called it the vineyards and was going to have a lot of grape arbors out there. And the issues with the birds came into play uh, from the airport 
Uh, so they elected to use hops. hops. So the in the one photo, you could see the hop structures. So that they've kind of switched you know, the triangular pyramid-looking uh, structures there where they grow hops, and they actually use them to, serve to some extent. So, <clears throat> so that that I guess that theme will still continue on the, the same landscaping. Uh, you know, John's facility down there and as well as the beach club or landscape you know more extensively than probably the minimum requirements in the code so, so and this plan has been reviewed by the airport consultant to make sure that our trees and shrubs that we're proposing are not going to attract the birds that that may uh, impact the operations of the adjacent airport property across pier one road So are the, there's two separate structures, correct? There's the fish house and then the clubhouse? There's actually, actually going to be five, six separate structures. So you got the what they call the stable, which is going to be a seven-room inn. The clubhouse is going to be where some of those function areas uh, occurred. Uh, then the restaurant building is actually two restaurants, one called the fish house and one called Bevo's. And then the three retail buildings to the east of that, and then a storage building in the back. And then there's some smaller structures that are be like outdoor bar, you know, function space areas. Because the, the renderings provided kind of make it look like it's two separate lump structures. They don't show them kind of Yeah, the clubhouse is one is building. This, this is the, the restaurant building, which is called the Fish House and Bevo's. I think you can see the sign there on the left side. So that's one building, but two different uses. And that correlates it. back to the other drawing? Well, no, yeah. Can you show so, us, go back and forth? See where it says Bevo's? Oh, okay. So that, it's called the Bevo's and Fish House, but it's two separate little areas of different style restaurant operations is what I recall. And then the clubhouse building. They're oriented north-south, even though when you look at the yeah. architectural rendering, it right. appears to be east-west. It was a view, yes, yeah. that's right. But it's really going, the building itself It was like an orthogonal view, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then the clubhouse building, uh, well, there was a rendering of that, which is this one. And you can kind of see the cottage, or the uh, stable. The stable building in the background of it. The stable building will be similar in architecture to the... Uh, the cottages that have already been built there. But if, if you look on the right side of this, you can kind of see the uh, the other building in the background. So, but pitch roofs, you know, similar architecture to what has already been done with the spa building. I think he did a 22-room inn building. So the color schemes and roof lines and, you know, have all kind of carried that uh, architectural feature across uh, from phase one to to these phases. Thank you. Of a curiosity, then a question um, of about procedure. Um, but is, do you have any sense of what percentage of visitors, clients to this uh, compound facility are actually do actually fly into the airport, or is the vast majority? No, I don't. Car? I don't believe we've ever had anybody fly in. Most of our clients come from uh, um, D.C., uh, New York, Philadelphia for the As wedding. A wedding destination, yeah. or. That's what we're trying to but make the But they do come place. from all over the states, right? They sure do. I mean, we've had people from other countries as well. Um, we're trying to make this, rather than just a, 
a weekend wedding, a destination. So they spend more time. Yeah, hence all those amenities and sports <clears throat> opportunities. And Are there any other questions of the applicant from the commission? Sheila, you good? The nod. Got the nod from Sheila. She got the nod. <laughs> <laughs> All right. At this time, we will uh, open up for public comment. At this time, we have no emails. We have comment in the room, though. So we do have one public comment. Um, <laughs> or, or trade places with someone so you can be close to a microphone. Just stand down. Three minutes. Jody Schultz, uh, Chester. Um, I mean, I like the project. We're all supportive of each other on these on these types of venues. My only comment is um, I didn't see where there was connectivity between other businesses and, and potentially out to the what's going to be a, an extension of the Cross Island Trail on Route 18. If I'm at this facility and I want to walk to Hemingway's or to the Beach Club. Or anywhere, I'm not sure how I'd safely do that. And we spend so much time and energy on that in other venues. Uh, Kenton Arrows, you can walk everywhere twice backwards. There's a trail and a proposed trail. Um, Gibson's Grant, um, Four Seasons. I mean, we're hypersensitive on trails and connectivity. And I don't see how this is connected to the road if I want to walk to the convenience store across the street or even to the airport potentially i think it's extremely short-sighted to not make sure we can walk everywhere uh, and maybe it's on a bigger plan that i haven't seen so that's my only comment i think we're just really missing the market we don't be hypersensitive on trails and making sure because this is going to be a nice development down here and we want to make sure it connects to the marina to the other nice facility they have uh, and potentially maybe even to the airport. I don't know. So, and definitely out to Route 18 because that's that's gonna that trail is gonna be extended at some point from you know the north side over to the south side. So, but I do support it. I mean, it's a great project. Other than that, thank you. I know there's sidewalks on Phase One along Pier One Road. This one's proposing an extension of that sidewalk to the end of their development. I don't know about the commercial apartments um, to the west of there, but I would imagine they have a sidewalk further down Pier 1. So as these develop, the sidewalks are getting implemented. Right. To the west or to the east? West. West. The um, Bay Matter the project, there was a sidewalk connection for that project that connected into the sidewalk that was done on this Phase 1. And then the way we've been working it with the Department of Public Works and Planning and Zoning and Parks and Rec is as the phases occur, we're extending the concrete sidewalk along Pier 1 Road um, towards uh, Route 8. So. so I think taking to Mr. Schultz's point, sidewalks to nowhere aren't doing us any good. Who owns the property? I presume um, you're, you're extending the sidewalk to the end of your property? No, it's about it's we don't own it's it to the end. The, it's it's consistent with the phase one or phase two construction limits. If you 
Rob, does your photo go further? It does. Okay. The county owns the property. county owns this the county too. Right. Perfect. <laughs> but then the next parcel there is, uh, used to be a gentleman by the name of Ace Allen owned that, had like a little uh, automotive repair, and I think there's like a, maybe a small seafood restaurant, and then Delmarva Power owns the larger parcel right there by Roman Coke Road. But the proposal that that we've been and what has been directed by the Department of Public Works is as these phases are extended, we've just been extending it consistent with the, the frontage improvements. Northbound trail terminates where? To the south of this? Uh, I'm not Like how I'm far sure away how approximately from that? It terminates prior to the airport. I think it stopped at Bay City. Yeah, it's way back. Way down by the schools. I think the crossing. The crossing of Route 50, I think, is in flux. We just don't know where that is at this point in time. But there are, Mr. Gunther opportunities for cyclists that don't prefer to use the road to travel toward the Chesapeake Bay? There's the sidewalk for phase one. Uh, it does not look like a sidewalk for... Uh, oh, oh. <laughs> that project's under construction, and there is a sidewalk extension across the front of it uh, called Bay Manor. Uh, but then once you get up into the marina property, the fee simple intercept, you can see the diagonal line across there. Pier 1 Road just kind of stops, and then Pier 1 Road is private from uh, the Bay Manor project into the uh, the Chesapeake Bay Bridge Marina. Uh -huh. And there's no sidewalks, you know, all along those roads. There is a waterfront promenade. You can see it on the immediate left of the photo there. So there is a waterfront uh, boardwalk all around the marina, but there's no connectivity at this point from Pier 1 Road uh, to the marina or the beach club facility, which is located to the uh, the south and uh, west of this. Right. So, again, as the projects have been coming online, you know the pedestrian connections have been connecting as you know as directed by the public works and planning and zoning department and, and parks and rec. Do we have anybody from public works that's in the yeah. meeting? Yes. Trees are here. So, um, what what's the reasoning? Do you have a, an answer for not asking or requesting for an extension so that we can not have sidewalks to nowhere? If, if we extended it to the, the project property, we would still have a dead end sidewalk unless you know, the other people wanted to uh, this is I'm Trey Porter from Queen Anne's County Department of Public Works. We um, we've actually discouraged a whole a lot of sidewalk going to the east of this property, just because we really don't want a, an unsafe crossing um, towards the the old uh, Kmart site. So so until there is a, a reasonable and safe crossing area, we really don't want to direct pedestrians in, into that location. Um, as far as the other side. And that would be westbound towards Hemingways. Um, as as uh, Tom just mentioned, we do have a, a site under construction uh, right there, and then and that's uh, 
that does have sidewalks along Pier 1 Road. Once you get to the end of that, um, it, it's you, you do have a choice of either going in, interior to the marina or staying on Pier 1, but um, you know, until there's development proposed in the marina area, uh, we really we, uh, we, we really don't have an opportunity to request sidewalks and, and a path at this time. However, if there's any proposed development in there, then certainly that would be something that would, uh, would, would come up. Thank you. Mm -hmm. All right. Is there any other public comment? I gave a chance. I added additional in the chat, but no comments. Hearing none. Okay. We shall now close public comment. This time I will entertain a motion for approval. I'd like to make a motion. Be it resolved that the Planning Commission regarding the request by the Gardens of Queen Anne's to construct Phase 2 to include a clubhouse three retail buildings, two restaurants, a pavilion bar, a seven-room inn, a storage building, and recreational areas, and is more particularly described in Department of Planning and Zoning file SP number 19-05-0024 hereby fines. This plan to be consistent with goals and objectives of the Queen Anne's County Zoning and Subdivision Regulations, the 2010 Com Comprehensive Plan, and the 2007 Chester-Stevensville Community Plan and hereby grants approval subject to the following conditions. Any remaining edits and or documents required by the Department of Public Works and planning and zoning be reviewed and approved. Two, the buildings will be constructed substantially consistent with the architectural elevations as provided. Three, any required legal documents must be approved, signed, and recorded. Four, any additional bonds, sureties, review, and inspection fees must be submitted to the Department of Public Works and the Department of Planning and Zoning as appropriate. And five, all required signatures must be obtained. Second. I have a motion and a second. Is there any further discussion? Hearing none, all in favor say aye. 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 Any Sheila? Aye. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Thank you. Unanimous. Next on the agenda, we have text amendments with Miss um, Amy Mordock, Principal Planner. Oh, 
I do have uh, Sheila raising her hand. I would like to talk. Sheila. While we're waiting for Amy, um, I noticed that because we missed a meeting, um, we will, it, it appears, and because we are required to have hearings on tax amendments, it appears to me that we will need to ask the commissioners for an extension of time because uh, we're required to act on them within 90 days. I thought uh, this might be an appropriate time to uh, make a motion to request that the commissioners grant the planning commission an additional um, 65 days to have a hearing and hold a vote on the text amendments that are going to be introduced today. I'm going to go back to the room. Sheila, I think that was a great um, observation and comment. Um, with your motion, I will entertain a second. Second. I have a motion and a second. Um, so we will get that taken care of to the county commissioners upon a successful vote. So is there any discussion pertaining to Ms. Tolliver's comments? We, we, we Thumbs up, thumbs down. What? Uh, oh, sorry. I, I thought Sharon wanted to speak, but she waved it off. Okay. Um, so, all in favor of uh, Sheila's comment or motion? Aye. 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 Hearing none, we will send that uh, formal request to the county commissioners requesting an additional 65 days. Thank you. Question is Sharon doing the um, minutes remotely? Yes, Sharon. She's okay. in the top, almost center of the screen. Oh, okay. Hi, Sharon. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Miss Mordock has joined us. Um, first. Text amendment is a citizen sponsored text amendment, um, TACO 20 4 for William Reed. Ms. Mordock? Uh, well, normally it's customary for the applicant to represent his own case. In Amy, pull, case, you, pull your mic down a little bit. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> in this case, um, I'm going to go ahead and represent Mr. Reed because the need for this text amendment. Uh, on his part, is precipitated by the lag in our update to Chapter 14-1, which is the critical area program. So uh, I worked with Mr. Uh, Reed directly in terms of what the Comar and Natural Resource Article provisions are that establish the minimum standard for a, an, an accessory dwelling unit in the resource conservation area. So that's why I'm representing this application rather than the applicant. Um, and so that is sort of the background as well, is in 2004, uh, the Critical Area Commission promulgated regulations that enacted provisions that establish a minimum standard to construct an accessory dwelling unit within the resource conservation area. This accessory dwelling unit is permitted um, and in addition to the minimum um, density requirement. So because our code was, has not been updated, 
the local Chapter 14-1 critical area program does not have a provision to allow a property owner to construct an accessory dwelling unit. So in that case, in this case, the county is more restrictive than the state's minimum standard. So um, Mr. Reed had a need, a personal need in his family to, um, to construct an accessory dwelling unit, which is why you're seeing this now as a citizen-sponsored rather than wrapped into the overall comprehensive update. Um, and we've coordinated with the Critical Area Commission in this regard as well because they're very anxious that we update the program comprehensively. And so I, I uh, have coordinated with them so that we can move forward with this amendment to the program in advance of the overall update. So um, as you'll see, I've given you in the in, um, Mr. Reed's report the um, proposed language. The language is restrictive, but this is the minimum standard. So in other words, we cannot enact a provision that is less restrictive than what you see here. So the standard is, and I'll read it for the record, that the following shall apply to the accessory dwelling unit in a resource conservation area, that one additional dwelling unit is permitted per lot or parcel as part of a primary unit for the purposes of density calculation under the section if that unit is it's located within the primary dwelling unit or its perimeter is within 100 feet of the primary dwelling unit. It does not exceed 900 square feet in total enclosed area, is served by the same sewage disposal system as the primary dwelling unit, by construction does not increase the amount of lot coverage already contributed to the primary dwelling unit, and is served by the same sewage disposal system as the primary dwelling unit. That looks like that's repetitive, but redundant. that's taken directly from the code. So we might uh, strike five. They really want to less. accentuate that, don't they? Right. <laughs> right. Well, Sheila um, has a comment. Okay. Yes, I, I think that actually um, this language wasn't taken exactly from the code, and that's why there's a problem not just with the repetition, but also with the logic. If you look at the DNR code after three, number three is served by the same sewage disposal system, there's an or so that you either are building a separate structure that's 900 square feet or less, in which case um, you have that 900 foot limit, or you're building within your existing home or structure a separate unit that has a separate kitchen and bath and all of that stuff, and which doesn't exceed the amount of lot coverage that was already attributable to the primary dwelling unit and is served by the same sewage system. So there are two different options. They're not, it's not one set of four things, five things. It's two different options. And I think that this drafting is, uh, doesn't reflect the DNR law, and if you just take the language from the DNR law, it would the model in the DNR law. It would um, it would be more logical, and you and the the rep repetition of the sewage disposal system um, then becomes necessary and logical. It's a drafting problem, I think. One second, Amy. Uh, go ahead. Okay, right, and uh, in working with. 
the Critical Area Commission staff, we combined those provisions into into this set of standards, and I think I just forgot to delete the, the number five, but uh, we can go back to the longer version as well. But in addition to that uh, section, we also include uh, the natural re- the um, COMAR and the natural resource article definition. So in addition, you'll see that this, the provisions of the section must be consistent with COMAR 27010205 and may not be construed to require consideration of an additional dwelling unit as the primary unit for the purposes of density with this subsection, and an additional dwelling unit uh, must meet all the criteria under subsection A of this section that is separate from the primary dwelling unit may not be subdivided or conveyed separately from the primary dwelling unit and must likewise be consistent with COMAR 2701-0205. Sheila had something else to say. Okay. Finish that section. I I just wanted to return to the prior. Um, I just wanted to return to the prior part. So go ahead and finish what you were saying. And then uh, there's an additional definition uh, that is included in um, the state provisions, and that is specific to defining a dwelling unit within the critical area as a single unit providing complete independent living facilities for at least one person, including permanent provisions for sanitation, cooking, eating, sleeping, and other activities routinely associated with daily life, dwelling unit um, including a living quarters for a domestic or other employee or tenant, an in-law or an accessory apartment, a guest home, or a caretaker's residence. Um, and I see, and if you flip to page four um, out of five, you'll see the specific annotated code reference that Sheila is citing, and you'll see the specific definition, both articulated in the natural resource article. Okay, we'll go back to Sheila real quick. Um, just to return to the, the, the part that you said you combined, I, I really do think you have to look at that uh, section of the law that you just cited and, and divide those. Otherwise, it's internally inconsistent because, number one, um, I mean, number two says it does not exceed 900 square feet, the accessory unit in total enclosed area, and number four said it doesn't increase the lot coverage. So you can't have 900 square feet of new construction without increasing lot coverage, which if you had a separate unit, it increases lot coverage. So I think that you're going, you need to use the language that you just cited that came from the DNR code with the or in it. We'll do that. We'll pull it directly from that standard. And that's how we'll move it forward to the commissioners with the definition, if you're so inclined, that is. would like to say something? I'm not sure when the mute went on. Um, also, in the definitions, there's a, just a stray in, in the um, dwelling unit within in the critical area. 
I think you want to just take that in out. Thanks, Sheila. Uh, Mr. Chairman, I have a question or two for Ms. Mordock slash Mr. Reed, if I may. Um, Amy, please, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming, maybe I shouldn't assume, but presuming that there, there are underlying definitions here that the sewage disposable, disposal area must be able to accommodate for this additional loading that's being placed on it, and is that part of code that's already, this is sort of under? Correct. That would be the health department. Yeah, it is, and uh, I did. We I did consult with John Nickerson of Environmental Health on this language to ensure that it was consistent uh, with the enactment of his provisions, and he's reviewed the language and is comfortable. But where it is, it's covered by it his oversight or jurisdiction. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. Secondly, is again presuming here that this would not impact or supersede council say an HOA contract, right, those still, if they, Homeowner Association covenants say you cannot have these, that provision would trump this um, opportunity, let's say? I would expect that it would, provided that the Homeowners Association or, or, or whomever had the authority to enforce such restrictive covenants decided to enforce them. Right. We'd, the county might very well issue a permit because the the uh, accessory structure, I guess this is the new version of a caretaker dwelling. Is that what this is? Um, the county might very well issue a permit because we, the county does not enforce private restrictive covenants. Right. It would be up to whomever is authorized to enforce them to um, stop the property owner um, so I think I Vivian, worried that we're, we're setting we send notice to planning we send building permit application notice to HOAs right if they're registered with the county, yeah, registered with the county right? and then it's upon them whether they chase that or not that's right thank you Additional comments, discussion. I think since um, we've already voted to take some additional time, I would like to see a cleaned-up amendment for us to review because, our, due to the significant inconsistencies with the way it was written, um, I would like to see it again next month. Um, in a cleaned up fashion uh, specifically because I want to do a little more consideration because of we don't have a specific accessory dwelling unit provision um, I think that and this is only sp specific to an RCA correct? Correct um, We have a lot of RCA uh, which is you know, the critical area, restricted critical areas that come before us, um, and they have significant impacts to the environment. And by adding a 
you know, principal dwelling or a accessory dwelling unit up to 900 square feet, you know, by a meaningful connection, uh, making it part of the principal dwelling unit still impacts things that I think we still need to further consider, in my opinion. Um, but that's just my thought process. What happened to caretaker dwellings? Don't know. They 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 aren't um, outlined in the development standards in the resource conservation area in fourteen. Uh, Sheila has a comment. Uh, two things. One with respect to the chair's uh, recommendation that it come back in a in a cleaned up version. Um, I I speak in support of that. Um, Two, with respect to whether or not this is a minimum standard in state law, I think that if you read the state law, the state law is permissive to local governments on whether or not you allow the accessory dwellings. So uh, if the chair has concerns about um, allowing them, then I think it's it's um, appropriate to discuss those. I think if you if the local government does allow them, then this then the minimum standard in the DNR code is I mean the standards in the DNR code obviously apply um, but or should apply. But um, I don't think that it's a minimum standard that it be required at this level. It's it, it's the state law appears to be permissive as to whether or not local governments require them, allow them. One second, sorry. Wait. And Sheila, I concur with your assessment um, that the state law does allow that for a local jurisdiction. Um, as you're representing the applicant, have you tried to apply for a uh, code modification or a waiver to allow for this to happen in accordance with this, uh, with the DNR code? There is no Let's be clear. I don't think Amy is representing the applicant. <laughs> no, and what I had stated is that if we're to enact these provisions, this is these are the minimum standards. We are now we are currently more restrictive than the state in this regard because we do not allow them. There's no waiver or variance provision that would allow for a property owner to um, construct an accessory dwelling unit under the current code. So. A property owner who lives in the RCA who does not have density to subdivide cannot construct an accessory dwelling unit. Thank you. I'm going to go over to Sheila. Yes, Mr. Chairman, Are, will you be scheduling all of these for hearing at the next um, commission meeting so that we can give notice to the public of the hearing? Yes, um, I think based off of, you know, unless there's something that is um, relatively simple, which normally that isn't with the text amendment, there's always discussion and um you know, so we'll take them individually, but this one definitely, I think uh, we will extend, and in addition with our request to the county commissioners for additional review time, uh, this one will be in that list. Uh, she will respond. Uh, oh.
Good, Sheila. Good. Um, I think the law doesn't really give us the permission not to have a hearing if we think it's simple. I think we're required to have the hearing on text amendments. Planning Commission doesn't have public hearings on text amendments. It's a agenda item for recommendation to the commissioners. And the planning and the commissioners are the ones that have the hearings and vote based off our recommendations. Public hearing. Yes, public hearing. That's not to say that it shouldn't be on the agenda for further consideration next month. You're just asking for it to be corrected. So, yes, it's my recommendation that we have a cleaned-up copy um, before we make a recommendation to the commissioners based off the inconsistencies that have been pointed out um, to make sure that when we send this up, we're now creating in all the RCAs, it's not a specific property, um, the impacts um, that may come forth with adding these up to a 900-foot additional structure, which kind of contradicts some of the language in the in the DNR code. So I think there's some, some additional research that may need to be done. Well, there isn't a contradiction. It's just there was a, there's one section that was left out in terms of the either-or statement. So there isn't a con- contradiction in the code. Right. In the annotated code. There was just a, in combining the two provisions for standalone or addition to a structure, I see the point taken, the point made and point taken about the lot coverage. Right. Okay. And just to be clear, Ms. Mordock, right, there is no, there's no problem at all with the county being more prohibitive than the state, meaning... We are we are, we are we are allowed we're, we are allowed to be more restrictive. The county is presently more restrictive Correct. than what the annotated code would allow. Right, and there is no problem with that on you know, uh, structurally on paper in our code. We, that is a provision that is granted to the county. We can be more restrictive. We cannot be less restrictive. Correct. So this is not what we often refer to as a house cleaning, housekeeping bill that brings us in line with things because we're contradicting. It's simply. Mr. Reed has a situation that he's been confronted with, he'd like to correct, and he has that latitude in the code, differences, discrepancies, if you will, that he'd like to bring to the same level. Correct. And had the update to the code been on track, this provision would have been included in the comprehensive update for you to consider. But because that has been adjusted, mm-hmm. we're hearing it now as a text amendment versus part of that update conversation. Yep. All right. So um, do you have anything else to add, Ms. Murdoch? Are there any other questions as they pertain to um, text amendment 20-04? So I will make a motion uh, to table this uh, pending additional information and clarification um, of the language um, to be on the agenda and reviewed at the next meeting. Do I have a second? Second. I have a motion and a second. Any further discussion? 
No waves from Sheila. All in favor, say aye. 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 Unanimous. So, next item on the text amendment agenda is the, I'm not even going to make an attempt to pronounce that, it's text amendment 20-05 COHB Cho Brothers, we'll make an attempt, uh, for the uh, Graysonville Neighborhood Commercial Village Commercial Area. feet away. Ms. Murdoch. Um, and this is an application that was um, submitted for Tobro's Properties LLC, uh, and it was submitted um, on behalf of that organization by Tom Davis, who is here today. Um, the proposal would admit, amend the minimum lot width provisions of um, the Graysonville Neighborhood Commercial District and the Graysonville Village Commercial District, the residential de uh, development standards, the dimensional and bulk requirements, the minimum lot width for multifamilies. Uh, this proposed amendment would allow duplex units in GNC and GVC to be consistent with the lot width dimensions and other bulk standards in accordance with the planned residential development standards as, standards as outlined in 18-1-36. Um, I'll let Tom speak to his application, but I will uh, conclude by noting that the amendment is consistent with the, the purpose and location statements of both the GNC and GVC districts. Further, the amendments are consistent with seven uh, other similar districts, which are also directed to the planned residential development standards uh, relative to the minimum lot width. And those districts are SE, SR, E, UR, CS, NC, and VC. Um, and this proposal is also consistent with many strategies and goals outlined in the comprehensive plan as articulated in the staff report. Thank you. Mr. Davis. Good morning still. Uh, Tom Davis here with DMS. This is Brent Coey of Cobros. Uh, Brent operates a company called Coey Design Build. He and his brother uh, bought a piece of property in Graysonville and had desired to install a duplex unit uh, on the property. And when we started looking into the zoning ordinance uh, requirements for duplex fell into multiple family in the GVC uh, district for which his particular project is designated. And the minimum uh, lot width was designated as 50 foot, which would be for a duplex or even a six unit townhome building. And when we looked at it, most of the jurisdictions that we work in, that's way excessive for a lot width for a multiple family. Um, and this actually was brought to the Planning Commission's attention probably two years ago uh, where we had requested a similar amendment but for more districts, the Town Center, I think Stevensville Historic Village Center District and whatever. The Planning Commission gave a favorable recommendation to the County Commissioners and went to a public hearing and several people in the Stevensville area 
came out in opposition to the text amendment. So at the time, the, the county commissioners denied it. So in talking with um, the planning and zoning staff, we actually have a very similar development that was approved probably in 2011 or 12 using 18136, as was directed by Steve Cahoon, who was the planning director at the time, because there wasn't a specific uh, lot width for duplex. It, it just got lumped into this multiple family. So our proposal now is on behalf of COBROs is to request clarification and modification to multiple family lot widths to be consistent with a section that already defines those lot widths in the code. Um, so that, that's it. This, these properties, the GVC and GNC, are very small properties in the Graysonville area. So the likelihood of a large townhome development is probably few and far between. But these infill kind of duplex um, units or maybe even a triplex are, are, would be appropriate where you could try to sell the, the lots in fee simple, which provides a nice affordable housing style that's not currently available, you know, in, in, in the area. So, But again, the... the I, Planning Commission did review a very similar text amendment back two years ago, I think, maybe a little over two years ago. It was uh, gave a favorable recommendation up to the county commissioners and the public hearing. Several people came in opposition, mainly in the Stevensville area. Uh, there was nobody in the Graysonville area that had concerns at the time. So we're just trying to really clarify something that we don't think is an appropriate width for a multiple family use. Fifty? Could you imagine a 50-foot townhome? You know, I mean, typically they're 18 to 24 foot, maybe up to 30 foot. So we're just trying to think, clarify something that we think maybe is an error. So. Thank you, Mr. Davis. I'll open it up to the commission for questions. Uh, Sheila has one. This is not really a question on the merits of the proposal, uh, but on the, um, the the way it's been drafted, which, um, you know, works, but is um, <clears throat> maybe uh, not preferable in the long term. I think someone mentioned this in their testimony on a different text amendment. Um, if, if we just reference a, a section or subsection of the code, and later, as the code evolves, these sections and subsections tend to change. Um, then, then we set up a, a situation where uh, there's a lack of clarity about what was meant here. So, and and the word multifamily, I don't think appears in subsection eighteen one to thirty six. They had specific types of multifamily homes. So maybe if we reference the title of that subsection and or the type of um, um, area where that's allowed or something to clarify and to make the um, connection between what what um, is being used as the example and the subsection so that later as the law evolves, um, the meaning of this doesn't get lost. Chris, I'm Sorry, I don't have it in front of me, so I'm. I think she was, Ms. Tolliver was asked, should we maybe clarify the wording of this so it's consistent? Because multifamily, I don't think is defined 
in the uh, particular zoning districts, um, whereas townhome or duplex you know, may be the appropriate. I'm well, just lumping into multiple family. Right. Uh, we'll go back. Go back. Go back. It's just as a, as a drafted convention, when you just reference a section of the code that exists today, it's, it's inevitable that it will become obsolete. And if it's not picked up by code revision people, which the county doesn't have, that this reference exists when you change another, uh, another section of the code, then, then this will be, this will become a meaningless gesture. Um, section of the code and and there's nothing you could either i mean as, to resolve it you could either spell out everything here that is spelled out in 181 to 36 or you could reference it by title and section so that you can follow if the section of the code where that title is where that those provisions are changes over time you'll be able to link them back Uh, yeah. uh, Ms. Tolliver, there's already several references, just like Amy's proposing with this text amendment in the code currently, um, probably in at least six or seven other zoning districts where for multiple family or duplex design, even cluster, I think, is even directed to this 18136. So it's, it's, if, if the codes change, there's more than just this particular section of the code that would have to be addressed. Amy, correct me if I'm wrong. That's correct. Yeah. So, subsection 36 is a mess to begin with, and we're not making it any worse. It needs to be overhauled completely during the update. 36 has created a lot of debates. <laughs> so, so it needs a, it needs a general scrubbing anyway, and I'm not sure we're making it worse right now by what's proposed. Miss Tolliver's concern could probably be addressed when you do that. It's going to get changed. 36 needs attention. Very confusing. I didn't think so back in 1987. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> what uh, Mr. Davis has drafted is consistent with the ordinance as it is now and with the other zoning districts that also refer to that section. Disagreeing with Sheila at all, um, uh, and, I, and I agree with her generally. Um, Do. And, and well, I'm repeating myself, 36 needs help. Uh, Mike Wisnowski would like to chime in. I, I agree with Sheila and Mr. Drummond. I think that once we get through the comprehensive planning process, when we take a look at the entire ordinance, that's one of the sections that uh, we need to have uh, rewritten. And so I don't want to say this is a stopgap, but this gets us through this particular inconsistency. And then when we, after we go through the comp plan process and we, take those recommendations into our zoning code. We're going to have to rewrite major sections of the code anyway, and this will just be one of those items. Secondly, I just wanted to mention we had a teleconference last week 
with the Economic De- Development Commission. I think you have that letter in front of you. They uh, found this amendment supports the goals of the workforce housing opportunities for our citizens and aligns with the uh, development in the GNC and the GVC, and they have recommended uh, approval of this uh, ordinance as drafted. Okay, back in the room. Thank you, Michael. I will entertain some kind of motion. So our options are to table the motion uh, pending... um, some additional information that Ms. Tolliver requested uh, as per uh, just the general code annotations, um, or we can vote for approval or disapproval based off the language that is appended in the document. Sharon has a comment, actually. Are we good? I I just wanted to uh, see if you wanted to take any public comment. up for public comment uh we have no public comment for this text amendment on this one okay so uh, the public does have the opportunity at this time to chime in and create questions based off the testimony from uh the applicant um, and the findings that miss mordock has presented to us and commission uh comments correct uh yes so they, and we did have someone just join the Zoom room, so uh, they're being vetted now. I'm not sure if they're uh, for this amendment or not. Okay, so we will double check and make sure that we uh, don't have any additional public comment. Thank you, Ms. Brinson, for reminding me. Appears uh, we're good. So I have confirmation that there is no public comment. So I will open it up for a motion of some kind. I can do the motion, but do I, do I need to read that whole thing? Well, it's a. It would be for a favorable or unfavorable recommendation to the county to the county commissioners. Can be found on page five. So, are you making the motion, Sharon? I can. I find page five. I don't have a page five. I don't have the backup work here. Uh, Sheila has her hand raised. There it is. Sheila, want to do it? I will if you if you're not if if you want me to. Uh, based on the I move, based on the consistency with the applicable laws noted above, staff recommends. Uh, I'm sorry. Um, 
I recommend that we, the, the um, planning commission recommend to the county commissioners um, adoption of the um, text amendment number 2005, minimum lot width GNC and CVC, um, consistent as it is consistent with the land use article. Um, in the purpose and location statements of both GNC and GVC districts. Furthermore, the amendment is consistent with lot width minimum standards of seven other similar districts, which are directed to section 18, one to 36 planned residential community development standards. These districts include SE, SR, E, UR, CS, NC, and VC. The proposed amendment also is consistent with many goals and strategies of the comprehensive plan specific to providing a diverse, affordable housing market in the county. And it's consistent with smart growth strategies, which direct infill and higher density development within designated growth areas such as Graysonville. Therefore, the Planning Commission recommends approval of the text amendment. Second. So we have a motion and a second by Mr. Lee. Is there any further discussion? Hearing none, we will send forth a favorable recommendation to the county commissioners. Thanks, Sheila. Did you get Sheila's Oh, I'm sorry, Sheila. So, yes, all in favor, <laughs> say aye. 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 I apologize. Sheila? Aye. And you're welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. So um, there have been two cancellations from the original agenda. The uh, cancellations are text amendments two or twenty zero six and twenty zero seven. Withdrawn or twenty zero six has been withdrawn. Twenty zero seven has been postponed. Was 20-07 a uh, citizen-sponsored text amendment? Yes. So how does that work, Mr. Drummond? Um, citizens, if, if they file within the allotted time frame, because they're only allowed to do it once a year, if they choose to pull back and postpone, does that make them go back to, I guess, next February? Or does it stay active until they reactivate? Amy? Yeah, I, they requested to amend their language that they presented, and they were advised that they need to file an amended uh, application to the county commissioners uh, in a timely fashion. And uh, prior to your already requesting the extension, um, I was going to request an extension of all of the applications, including this application, um, so that it can continue to move through the process. So it is delayed 
at their own request, and then the commissioners would hear uh, the request for the extension that you are now presenting. Perfect. Thank you. Next on the agenda is county-sponsored text amendment 20-03, the imposition and enforcement of development impact fees. This is a text amendment that is um, well, that was requested by the county commissioner. So this is a commissioner-sponsored text amendment, and it uh, arose from a specific case. But there is a, a long-standing need to address this section of the code, um, and this um, application proposes to alter the timing of the development impact fee collection and assign an administrative fee for the processing of the promissory notes affiliated with uh, the impact fee. The fee will uh, incentivize the upfront payment, the language will incentivize the upfront payment of impact fees upon the issuance of the building permit and zoning certificate. The amendment uh, to the promissory note collection will ensure payment of the required impact fees while affording a property owner an option to um, a gradual payment option in stages uh, which correspond with the submittal and, uh, and with inspection deadlines. In addition, the processing fee will cover staff time involved in capturing the tracking and required payments in accordance with this promissory note and the proposed step payment schedule. You will see the language as proposed to um, section 18, chapter 18, uh, section 3-7 of the code which is the imposition and enforcement of development impact fees. The proposal adds a, uh, a notice of lien to be filed uh, in the courthouse, and um, it enacts a payment, a stepped payment schedule as follows. 50% of the impact fee must be paid at time of building permit. Uh, submittal, 25% paid at the time of a framing inspection or a third inspection, and 25% prior to the time of final inspection. Uh, the applicant shall pay a 3% administ administrative fee at the time of the application. And this is an additional um, process. If the developer pays the fee during uh, submission of application, then there is no 3% administrative fee attached. It's, is a stand, it's the standing impact fee to be collected. And I'll let Vivian summarize some of the history behind this needed amendment. Since the adoption of the impact fee ordinance, we've always... Can you identify yourself for us, please? Vivian Swenson, Zoning Administrator. Thank you. Since the adoption of the impact fee ordinance, we have always had a problem with collecting fees, and it has gotten, the more permits we take, the more problems we have. 
And so most people, the way the ordinance was set up or the way the process was set up in the department was that you were to pay your impact fees a week before you requested a final inspection. Well, that's not happening. And what it has done is turned us into a collection agency for calling people for their fees and trying to collect fees, stopping inspections. I mean, we have inspectors go out to the site and try to catch up and down with a contract or a homeowner to pay the fees. And I just don't think that's our role in is to track you down to pay what you owe the county. If you don't give them the occupancy... Um... It doesn't matter. People move in their house without an occupancy. And if you have a bank that don't require an occupancy to settle, that kind of compounds the problem because people just keep on moving. Another issue that has arisen is that there are occasions when a property owner is unaware that the impact fee has not been paid, and sometimes the property owner becomes aware um, once they're attempting to um, to get a loan or to uh, occupy the, the property. So what we've done is added language that requires that... Um, a, that a lien be recorded in the courthouse so that during a title search, during all of the paperwork that you um, take on when you're moving into a home, that there's a paper trail that alerts a soon-to-be property owner to the fact that there's this fee that has not been um, resolved. Because that can come as quite, as, quite a shock at yeah. the end of the process as opposed to learning about it up front. And if I may, Ms. Mordock, the 3%, the waiving of that 3%, if it's paid in full up front, is because it's not burdening staff through those next two and three steps that are obviously time and resource consuming. So that was the approach with the that waiver of that 3% if it's paid in full. It's not written into the code as a waiver. It's simply not applicable. If, if you pay up front, then... I You've complied with that section of the code, and there's no need to record a notice. There's no need to put anyone on notice. There's no need to, to establish, establish the payment fee or then... It's your incentive, yeah. incentive That's right. to get that done. It's, it's not actually waived because it's an additional if you pay. That's right. right. Yep. And it's a cost-saving opportunity for the applicant. It's a typical impact fee cost. It's no, there's 10, no typical fee. It's, go ahead, Vivian. It depends on the size of the house. It's what it, right now. Is there a percentage or? It's five dollars and fifty-eight. Five dollars and fifty-eight cents per square foot of the dwelling. So the bigger the house, the more money you pay. Assume it's between ten and fifteen thousand. Vivian, isn't that fee set annually, and it's taken before the commissioners to Impact establish? Impact fee increases every July 1 based on the cost of living index. So July 1, the fees will change, and it usually goes up maybe 5 to $0.07 cents per square foot every year. In, in general, ten to 15000 You did receive a memorandum from the Economic Development Commission. I'm glad that uh, Mr. Wisnowski mentioned that in the last case because I forgot I had it in my file. 
um, Economic Development Commission uh, reviewed all of the text amendments that are on the agenda today, and they put forward um, uh, a recommendation of opposition in regard to this proposal. What's their opposition? Um, let's see. They feel as though the 3% administrative fee is not conducive to economic development in the county. Um, it, they also are against the 3% administrative fee being levied to the total impact fee, though 50% must be paid up front at the time of uh, the building permit submittal. And that they feel that... Can you resolve it by just charging 100% up front? Most builders or homeowners don't want to pay the fee up front. That's how we came about with the promissory note because they thought it was better to hold on to their money until the end of the project. But it just doesn't seem to work out that way. Some people have it and some people don't at the end of the loan, at the end of the construction. There, there's, there's, a, there's more history to this. Um, <laughs> paying for the paying the impact fee at the end of the process um, was, and I don't think he'll, he'll mind me mentioning his name, um, was important to and lobbied for by Roger Weiss when he was uh, uh, chairman of this commission. And it was his view, and I understand it, that it put a significant cost up front uh, for uh, contractors uh, and what's the harm with putting it at well, the harm, so to speak, at putting it at the end? Because nobody can move in, and he's right about this. You're not supposed to move in until you get a certificate of occupancy, and so therefore we'll pay it before anybody moves in. Um, for the scrupulous contractors and home builders, it's not a problem. Um, for unscrupulous contractors and home builders, it has become a major problem. And for homeowners that are sort of their own general contractor, it's a problem because they you get a construction loan, and if the final draw is intended to include money for the impact fee, but the homeowner who's acting as his or her own general contractor, we have discovered that the construction draws finish the house with no money left over for the impact fees. That's my question. Go back. It's, it's on a draw anyway. Why not get it up front? Um, I, I can tell you that that was certainly the view of staff back in the day, and, and Roger was successful in convincing everyone that we'll put it at the end. And I don't think he'd mind me mentioning that because I mean, he had legitimate reasons for it. It wasn't just a... I think originally it was intended for it to be paid up front. So, a couple questions. Uh, how much money is outstanding in impact fees that the county has not collected? At the end of FY 18 or 19, we were due $98,000, and that's not counting what's come in since then. But you have 18 months to pay it, and out of that 18 months, we have about $98,000 that's outstanding, why not do, counting the ones that are... Wait a minute. 18 that, months to pay oh, it? That's 18 months from the issuance of a building permit until certificate of occupancy. Okay. Okay. 
I knew I knew there was going to be a reaction. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mike Wisnowski would like to chime in. I would just like Vivian to explain where that money goes after it's collected by the county. Go ahead. The impact fees have designated places. It goes to Parks and Rec. The bulk of the money goes to the schools, and then each fire district gets their portion of the money if you build in their fire district. So it's divided up amongst the, is it eight fire districts now? The eight fire districts, the schools, and Parks and Rec. It's, we should be clear, the $98,000, correct me if I'm wrong, is that one builder? No. More than I one? I didn't count that builder. Oh, you didn't count I that didn't builder. Count okay. that builder so, so if you yeah. have a delinquency problem with this, do you have a delinquency problem with the county taxes too? Property tax? That I don't know. Cause they would typically be, typically, not always, no. but typically be paid by the um, uh, the mortgage holder who would be collecting um, money for, escrow, for in, escrow. in an escrow account in your mortgage payments. And it just be added to their next property tax well, if they don't pay it? Yes, in fact, that is exactly what ha- would happen if the impact fee is not paid. Uh, the department refers the unpaid impact fee to the treasurer's office to include it um, in the uh, next tax uh, tax sale round. Uh, however, there has been a major problem with one builder this year, last year into this year, and the commissioners have decided, and there are, I think it's six homeowners in homes without the impact fees being paid. Um, it, uh, those situations involve forged certificates of occupancy. Why? Um, and the commissioners have decided under those circumstances not to pursue a tax sale for those six homes right now because of the unscrupulous nature of or the unscrupulous how the property owners ended up in the property in their homes um, and we're trying to work out how to get them paid before the tax sale cycle in 2021 Almost like an LLC and a house flip kind of deal. And they move people in, and now I'm the house builder. I sold it to Miss Swenson, and now she's stuck with an impact fee that's not necessarily hers. And we're fairly satisfied that uh, I think it's six homes. The homeowners were in the dark. Had we any indication that the homeowners moved in knowing that there was an impact fee problem, we, that we might not be quite so sympathetic. To me, that impact fee ought to be paid up front before they even break ground. <laughs> Once, the plans, oh, Once the plans are approved. Sheila would like to say something. I can I concur with Bob, and um, 
I think this is a reasonable accommodation. We're calling the 3% an administrative fee, but you could think of it as interest because essentially the county is making a loan um, by taking a promissory note. And I would, um, I would move that we recommend that the commissioners uh, a fav- give a favorable recommendation to the commissioners on their proposed leg- text amendment. Is that a motion? Sorry, uh, go ahead. Is that a motion? Yeah, it was. Oh, it was? Okay, I'll second it then. That they pay the impact fees up front. Now that uh, the commissioners have proposed the 50, 25, 25. And they're currently not paying anything until the end? Yes, most builders or homeowners don't pay any of the impact fee until the end. I think the most significant, frankly, version of, uh, provision in this amendment is uh, placing something in the land records. That that will avoid the problems that, for example, that we've recently had with people moving into homes without the impact fees being paid, um, either because there's been some skullduggery or the homeowner who's his or her own general contractor won't get permanent financing when there is a notice in the land records. So I have a motion and a second. Um, Before we do that, I would get public. I was going to remind you about public comment, but (laughs) um, but also I wanted to note before you take a vote that uh, this application or this language has been reviewed by County Attorney Pat Thompson, and he has suggested that the language relative to the lien be placed under Section C of this same provision, which outlines the lien procedure. So that same language would fall under. Um, the lien requirements, so the notice of lien may be filed in the land records of Queen Anne's County, that would be shifted to, uh, rather than Section A, Section C, which outlines the lien provisions. Um, And also, Vivian noted that because there have been concerns raised with the 3% uh, fee, that there are other provisions in the code which outline a cap to um, a fee collected and that that cap uh, may be stated not to exceed $500 if you had a concern about that fee. So I thought we'd throw that out on the table too. The cap is in this proposal or not? It is not, but if you were so inclined to consider that Point of criticism. Percent of fifteen thousand is only four fifty. So yeah, so it doesn't matter. Right, but most often okay. it wouldn't matter under it anyway. So um, slippery hill. What were what were their impact yeah, fees approximately? If that's true, then they got plenty of money anyway. Yeah. Well, that's what I say. So for a single family home, I think you know the the five hundred dollar cap really doesn't matter because you're you're pretty much covered. Unless you're putting up a McMansion, and then you got the money anyway. Understood. But this also applies to our commercial properties as well, correct? 
Yes. So Slippery Hill, what would their what would the impact be on that? Three percent on their that was total federally cost. subsidized. They didn't pay the impact fee. Okay. So um, another larger commercial project. Hotel. Uh, hotel. Botel or the hotel? Pick one. What? How much impact is that going to have? Well, that impact fee is um, calculated differently. It's based on square foot. Based, they don't pay the school fee. They only pay the fire and the parks and rec fee. So it's already been reduced by. They pay total maybe a dollar and eight cents a square foot. So it depends on whether you're in a growth area, out of growth area. The fees change depending on the use and the whether or not you're in a growth area. So at a so at a eighty thousand square foot facility that was brought before the commission before, they're charged a dollar eighty roughly. Just round numbers. Yeah, just possibly to, yes. Did you say a dollar eighty or a dollar eight? A dollar eight. Dollar eight. 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 So that's eighty five hundred dollars. To be divided up in and three percent of that points. is nothing. I mean it's not near five hundred dollars. I think we need a restatement of the motion. I'd like to hear. <laughs> public, public comment, too. Yes. So um, before we uh, – well, we're going to hold off on the vote and entertain public comment, and then we can reestablish the, the motion and the second that are currently on the table. So this time we'll entertain any public comment. And uh, we have none at the time, but I'd just like to remind people, if you do want to chat and you're in the Zoom room, just send me a chat so we know that you want to make a statement. I feel uh, most people are here for the next uh, <laughs> our next amendment. Not the one we're placing after lunch. Uh, I'm getting nothing, so I think we're clear. Okay, hearing no public comment, um, we will revisit the motion. I believe, Ms. Tolliver, you made the original motion. I'll go back to Sheila. One second. We're sure. Um, make the change in drafting uh, the section in which the subsection in which this appears that um, Amy, Ms. Mordock um, mentioned was the recommendation of the attorney, Pat Thompson. Um, but in terms of substance, I, I, I don't, um, that would be the only amendment that I would make to the original motion to recommend approval of the um, text amendment. If, certainly someone else can amend it if they choose to in another way. I, I just want to confirm, Sheila, you were cut off a little bit in the beginning that your motion um, is for a favorable recommendation with the amendment to move the lien uh, provision as noted in in uh, subpart B into section C as per the re recommendation of uh, County Attorney Patrick Thompson. Is that correct? She's shaking her head. Yes, want me to go back to her? Just for verbal confirmation. Yeah, we see her, but... Well. I'll second. I'll second. I'll second.
I'll second it. And we have a second. And we have a second. 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 <laughs> All right. Uh, is there any other further discussion? All in favor, say aye. 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 That. Okay. So that is a favorable recommendation to the county commissioners with the amendments as noted uh, with a unanimous approval. <coughs> so thank you very much. So um, are you going to be around for the rest of the meeting? Okay. Perfect. All right. Um, fellow commission members, I guess. John, did you want to check on provisions? I, I don't know what uh, the commission's thinking. If we want to tackle this, I know that I've had a request for a break, um, but I don't know if we want to push forward. I will. Uh, we're definitely going to take a break either way, but it'll be whether we're taking a lunch break or we're going to push forward. So um, what, is, what is the opinion of the commission? Sheila? I'm good either way. Um, it, it's my opinion that there will probably be some uh, extensive discussion regarding the next text amendment. So um, it's up to you guys. Should we break for lunch? Let's take a short break and then we won't have those people on hold that long. <clears throat> if we take a short break, we won't have those people on break or on hold that long. Okay. Oh, they, can, they can dial back in. All right, let's take a vote. By voice, by voice vote. Um, those in favor of lunch, say aye. Those in favor of pushing on? Oh, Sheila? Oh, she didn't carry the way. So, um, since I didn't hear any eyes in favor of lunch, that kind of gives us our, our determination. All right, so let's take a 10-minute um, a break between now and 12. Uh, we will resume at noon. Good afternoon and welcome back to the Queen Anne County <laughs> <laughs> meeting, um, May 14th, 2020. Uh, at this time, we are preparing to... Uh, here, text amendment 20-08. Uh, we do anticipate public comment at this time. Uh, at the end of the presentation, we will take public comment. Public comment will be limited to three minutes per customer, consumer, citizen, um, unless the council or commission has questions for you. Um, and we will move forward with that. So at this time, we will turn it over to Ms. Murdoch for text amendment 20-08. Okay, you received a uh, staff memorandum that was updated for today's meeting. You also, We also received uh, two letters which were duplicative, which were distributed to the Planning Commission members, and then you also received a supplemental memorandum that addressed point by point, some of the concerns raised. Would you like me to, and in addition to that, 
I think most of the participants on the Zoom Meet app uh, received copies of the staff report and the supplemental uh, memorandum. So there's a lot of material here. Would you like me to go through all of it or just give you a brief summary? Brief summary. Okay. Okay. All right. So I'll go through the objective. Uh, Staff has identified a longstanding need to define the parameters of um, alcohol production facilities in our agricultural and countryside districts. And so we've uh, put forward this amendment, which we feel addresses a hole in the county's agritourism provisions as they relate to these facilities and (coughs) affiliated promotional events. So the proposal intends to add clarifying language to the existing definition of agriculture uh, specific to alcohol production facilities. The proposal adds specific definition of definitions of alcohol production facilities as well as a distillery. It also establishes a conditional use review requirement for such enterprises in the AG and CS districts while prohibiting them in the open space areas. Uh, Further, this proposal includes clarifying language for the alcohol production facility definitions for distilleries, farm breweries, and wineries relative to the percentage of production grown on site um, and promotional events, event uses which are incidental to those specific uh, alcohol production facilities. The amendment also corrects a typo that uh, was adopted in the previous text amendment for the farm breweries. There's just um, the wrong section is cited, and it's clearly a typographical error. The proposal, um, um, the proposed amendment also affects the definition section as well as the district standards and permitted uses in open space. The county has standing definitions, of course, of agriculture, farm brewery, and winery. Farm breweries and wineries have been added to the code by um, amendment. In 2017, farm brewery was added. In 2013, a winery was added. Uh, this proposal is threefold um, in incorporating the Governor's Intergovernmental Commission on Agriculture's recommended model definition of an agricultural enterprise as well as the distillery as specified in the alcoholic beverage provisions found in um, the annotated code. Um, It addresses a percentage of product grown on site, which is incidental to that production. Um, It adds a section to the definition of, of agriculture, which further delineates between um, orchards, nurseries, vineyards, cheesemaking, you-pick facilities, the corn mazes, the types of um, agritourism attractions that have been long-standing, but creates a specific section, pulling out a section E, uh, which moves the winery and the farm brewery to its own alcohol production facilities section, and then identifies those uses as distilleries, farm breweries, uh, vineyards, and wineries. We uh, left the vineyard in the standing um, Section C 
because there may be instances where there is a vineyard that is not affiliated with an alcohol production facility. That can be common. So it can differentiate between the two. Um, You'll see the definition of the, um, the alcohol production facility, which is tied directly to the state licensed brewery, distillery, or winery provisions. The use is secondary to the primary agricultural use of the property where the activities such as on-farm processing of agricultural products and agritourism events occur. More than 50% of the products sold shall be grown on-site or within the county. This has been the subject of much uh, (coughs) scrutiny. And just to clarify, this language um, (coughs) comes from the standing provisions in the temporary use section of the code as it relates to a farm stand use. So that exact uh, final sentence is consistent with a farm stand. Uh, We had to start somewhere, and that's where we started for consistency's sake, and we um, we expect a lot of input and your consideration of what might be appropriate to this use. And to be <clears throat> back that up a little bit, it, we also started from the premise that we are attempting to promote, one, agriculture in the county, and two, tourism that's associated with agriculture in the county, and not necessarily to encourage what are essentially commercial operations masquerading as so-called agritourism. Um, And to that point, uh, that really addresses um, the placement of an agricultural production facility in the code um, listed under the conditional use provisions so that there's an insurance that the size and scope of what we're defining and what is in our existing code in terms of the three types of agricultural production facilities, uh, the farm brewery, the winery, and then the distillery as drafted. Um, There are promotional events that are definitely ancillary to the agricultural production facilities. There are promotional events that are outlined under the licensing provisions. Those vary greatly in the licensing provisions, what we wanted to do was to ensure that any promotional of any event that is directly tied to that production facility is permitted under this conditional use and would be subject to that review as long as it is secondary to the production of alcohol. We wanted this use to be clearly defined and separate from the standing um, special events, which often accompany these types of uses but are separate. So there comes a threshold that we're trying to acknowledge between the agritourism industry, which we want to support and want to make sure there's a mechanism for that review, and then a next step where that use might become more commercial in nature, where there are already zoning districts um, in which such events and um, production are already permitted under commercial and industrial-type uses. Again, in this context, recall that there is at least one distillery in the county in a commercial district. There is a building, there's a brewery that's being built, I think it's a brewery, 
on Grange Hall Road in a commercial district across from the 7-Eleven, right off 213. Um, and then finally, we wanted to ensure that uh, these uses um, are permitted in appropriate spaces and not permitted in the um, op- in designated open space. Um, I forgot, there's a bre- the so-called brewery in the old Acme Shopping Center on Ken Island. Um, so based on the, the need that has been identified uh, by our zoning administrator, uh, Vivian, who's still here, um, and a lot of consultation with, with her, what she's seeing in the county, which, with some of the challenges that she faces and having no real uh, parameters for how to um, advise uh, citizens who are inquiring about obtaining building permits. Um, in con- we also consulted with the um, alcohol... Um, Jeff. Yes, Jeff. Board. Liquor board. That's liquor board. it. The liquor board uh, attorney, in terms of how those presi- how those licenses should be consistent with our code, and we've uh, of course consulted with uh, Chris Drummond. Uh, we've taken this approach, which identifies individual types of alcohol production facilities rather than lumping them together, uh, based on licensing. Uh, making sure that our statute does not have to be updated every time there's an update to those licensing provisions. Um, there, we also looked at neighboring jurisdictions in terms of how these provisions have unfolded in, in neighboring jur- jurisdictions. And I know there's a call for us to um, consolidate those definitions. Uh, we've opted to individualize them. A lot of other jurisdictions have done the same, um, be- mainly because there are just there's different levels of specificity in the licensing. But also, this is where we are with our code, and um, what we're doing makes sense and is consistent within our own code. Um, you have some correspondence that has been submitted to you. Some of that correspondence came. Uh, before your packets were distributed, some of them, some of that information came after. Um, I know you received at least one letter and then a memorandum from the Economic Development Commission. So I would end my presentation now, unless you would like to ask um, Vivian Swenson some questions or hear public comment first. So the documents that came after our packets were delivered; those were posted for public viewing, correct, on our website. No? I doubt it. Okay. No, that's not typical. Okay. Understood. Got it. Okay. Thank you. Open it up for questions. One problem I have is the 50%. I think that's really unreal. Um, <clears throat> I had a discussion with Brian Patrick Agers. Um, but as a farmer, 
I know that a lot of products we grow are not suitable for what he's going to try to do. You mean for the brewery? Well, distillery or brewery, whichever you're doing. Mm. <clears throat> There's a quality you want to have. We cannot grow decent wheat on the eastern shore because of humidity. If we had to rely on our own bread or wheat for bread, we'd be out of business when we wouldn't eat. Uh, there's a lot of those circumstances. I don't know the brewery, brewery industry, but I question making them use products from here. I don't want Queen Anne's County to be known as selling rot gut whiskey. <laughs> I want them to make a quality product if they're going to do it, which would require them in most instances to bring their products from other areas. I like promoting local, but I'm a quality needs to come first in there. And if they're going to succeed, they need quality. And that raises the very question that we've been struggling with. Uh, if this is supposed to be promotion of Queen Anne's County agriculture, um, how um, and we have a and we have distilleries as a permitted use in commercial districts, and we have at least one that I'm aware of. Um, First, how does a distillery in the Ag District promote Queen Anne's County agriculture? And two, are we putting the the uses, similar uses in a commercial district at a um, competitive disadvantage because of all they have to go through in a commercial district to set up shop? Well, the Ag is still going to have to go through a lot of to set up. He's going to have to meet the health standards, follow the laws. But there's no distillery that's going to set up, even though it's not required, without agritourism and survive. You're not going to sell enough whiskey out there on that farm by itself to sustain you. I'm just yeah. raising the questions just that we have been struggling with. Patrick Akers, an example, they're selling, they have the brewery there. But Without agritourism, they wouldn't have enough to keep the doors open. They're, they're selling because of their environment. Uh, people want to come out there and have a few drinks, sit and look at the countryside. They want to look at the cornfield across the road. They want to let their kids play. Uh, that's what sells them. It's, it's not the booze. It's that story we've got to sell. And where agriculture's at, I mean, I, we're really changing but we need ways to keep these smaller farmers in business. The way they're expanding and farmers today are tilling three, 4,000 acres rather than 300, there's only so much land in this county. So we're dwindling fast. And I'd really like to see these younger, well, younger or older, whatever, but smaller farmers have an opportunity to bring in a business that would help them sustain their operation. If you've got 100 acres, you can't make a living off of it just selling green. I'm not arguing with you, but that sounds like a bar in the field. It probably is. Okay. <laughs> That's what people want. I understand. I think to your point, though, Mr. Drummond, there, all, there is, a, there is a, a promotion, if you will, of agriculture, agritourism, simply by visiting that Patriot Acres uh, situation that, that 
uh, Mr. Jackson brought up, right? There is an appreciation of agriculture by the city, by the nature you simply expose people to be outside. They've got animals. They look across the fields, the countrysides, right? They appreciate that open space. Um, and I, I think that shouldn't be overlooked, right? We are, we may not be promoting corn and soybean rotation, but I think the open space, right, that the attractants to that Patriot Acres farm scenario is attractive to people driving up Route 50, going from Annapolis to Middletown or to Philadelphia. They want to stop in, get some fresh air, walk around, yeah. get a little mud on their shoes, get a beer, uh, a bite to eat perhaps, and, and move on. And I think that does, although maybe not as, as much as uh, you know, a hayride or a corn maze, uh, promote agriculture, but it nonetheless exposes people, it starts the conversation, and they can appreciate, the, the uh, honestly, the long run of protecting that open space. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, it serves a local uh, venue, right, and, and folks in the county that are exposed to open space by nature of the county's uh, um, resources, but also the transient community that often travel through the county that we talk about so much going up and down that corridor from the metro, one metro center to another. Um, so I, I'm not disagreeing with either of you, but I, I think it's worth pointing out that a, a bar in the field is perhaps a bit of a of a unfortunate moniker. <laughs> I kind of liked it. And well, it's it, it's one it way of defining it. I, I don't well, disagree. That could sell. <laughs> but it, yeah, that happy negative. <laughs> and and maybe this is uh, you know, one of the one of those disruptive evolutions of business and and culture and and agri agriculture that. There is a little bit of a blurring of those lines, and, oh, yeah. and but I, I, I take your point. And to bridge that conversation, this is what staff has been struggling with, and by by the licensing provisions, a any of the identified alcohol production facilities cannot be restaurants; they cannot be bars uh, under the licensing provisions. Now, in terms of how staff enforces those provisions, that's where we put forward the, the connection to the production of product on the land. 50% we realize is probably high, um, but we started there for consistency. It's a lot easier to quantify and even monitor 50% of a product grown on site for a seasonal um, farm stand, not so easy with the production of a complicated product like an alcohol product. Um, so no, we can't permit a bar in a field, no matter what it is. Uh, but there's a there's a dance that that we want to that we want to play out to allow for this use under our definitions and under consistency with our code that ties into the licensing provisions. And that is why we feel as though maybe a 50% connection is too much, but we feel as though coming down from that is appropriate, but keeping this use at a conditional use review is appropriate because it allows this board to look at a site plan and it allows the Board of Appeals to look at the, stand, the standards of a conditional use, to look at the existing neighborhood, the compatibility with the neighborhood, the, mean, the means 
of access, egress and ingress, and just the nature of the overall site and its proximity to infrastructure and neighbors. Uh, so we feel as though this is an appropriate middle ground that's consistent with our comprehensive plan, which points us in a direction of supporting uh, our anchor industry and supporting the growth of agritourism while also being compatible with other land uses. So. Well, I know Frederick County, their requirement is that one ingredient be produced locally. Um, in a sense, I'd like to see more than that, but to me, I'd like to make a quality product and then leave it up to them to sell it as local, how much of this product is local, what we're producing locally. And the consumer can judge off of that. Does he want to support it or not? Is that truly a local product? We're looking to this board for some guidance, and I know there are a lot of um, really uh, knowledgeable and um, there's a lot of really great input that we've collected so far, and I know that they're waiting to give comment, and I'm really looking for their comments to be folded into this dialogue to help us to fine-tune this language. But I would also support the conditional use. I mean, I, I know there's some opposition to it because of the cost, but I think if you're going to put this business in, it should be located in an area and community that's going to fit and benefit the community. So that would give us more say over where it's going and not just because it, you can do it, it's not a good idea. So unfortunately my memory fails me more often than not, but isn't there, and it might be just across the county line, isn't there a farm that currently distills and might be, it might be Cecil, but there's a farm I know I had gone to um, and they distill and they have a small tasting room. Am I, was that a? In this county. Not, not in this county, so it's across the county line then. Well, wouldn't be in this wouldn't county. Wouldn't be in Kent County either, I don't think. Yeah. In fact, Cecil maybe? Kent County, the only one that tried got shot down, as you know, and I know. No. no. Wasn't that a, was that beer or was it that It was one? approved. It finally got approved? Yes. Oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> So maybe it's Cecil. I don't know. Okay. Well, the, uh, that Alm House one got approved. No. Uh, so, I think so. so Cecil. The, 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 there was a microbrewery that was approved and then it closed. But oh, no, this is it was a distillery. Is I know it's up north. Is that in There's Chester a couple town? wineries, but I don't know. No. Okay. It's, um, winery two thirteen. Uh, no, it's Cecil not a winery. Um, trying to. I'm there, not sure. There is or was one in Chester County. Too. I don't know. Right. One on Kent Island. I'll I'll try and okay. get back into the Rolodex. <laughs> maybe it was one heck of a good dream, but the liquor wasn't very good. But you know they were trying. Um, so by making this a conditional use, it would still have to go to the uh, Board of Appeals anyway. I think ultimately, what's been presented before us is what level of localness for lack of a better word, do we want to kind of implement? Because we, we can approve whatever uh, recommendations to the Board of Appeals, but ultimately they'll have some say in this, um, and probably the final decision ultimately based off our codes. Um, you know, what, uh, what products that are grown in the county are really 
would enhance a distillery? I don't really know. I don't know the business side. I'm not a bootlegger. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Juniberries? There's stuff that could be, the flavorings could be induced into it, yes. That'd be quite possible. Hops. Hops. There is hops, but there's not enough labor to harvest it, so that's been a problem. Sheila, you're awful quiet up there. <laughs> we, we can check in with her. Let's check in with Sheila. Check in with Sheila. I have really nothing to add. We're back in the room. So are there any other questions for Ms. Murdoch? All right. Hearing none from Ms. Murdoch, um, let's open it up to some public comment and kind of get their perspective. Uh, so as I mentioned earlier, um, public comment, I guess, are you going to call on them individually? Yes. Yeah, we can right in the room. Okay. So they'll, you will be called upon. Um, you'll be transferred. They will turn on your mic and or video. Um, public comments will be held to three minutes. Uh, we greatly appreciate your participation and comment. So, well, uh, Jeff, I, 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 we, Mr. Stevens is here, and he represents Mr. Folks. Does that mean they get six minutes, or is Joe here to front for Mr. Folks? Joe gets two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he, I don't know. I'm just raising the subject. I could tell with Joe's posture, he wants to get up and talk. As always. And if Mr. Folks is allowed to talk, he'd be talking about some of the questions about the percentage of uh, the product and the product itself, um, more so than the ordinance. He can give you some, be able to answer questions about that because he is a hops producer. Okay, so um, I guess with that, Mr. Drummond, Mr. Stevens, if you're going to represent the uh, Mr. Folks, um, then you're going to take his three minutes. Or if you want to represent yourself uh, as a citizen, please feel free, and then he can speak to his own three minutes. Exactly. Outstanding. I figured you would. <laughs> Clock starts now. Thank you, Mr. Uh, Joe Stevens. Um, I'm an attorney here in Centerville. I've reviewed the can, you, can you start over? I don't think your microphone Yes, Joseph Stevens. I'm an attorney in Centerville. Um, and um, uh, I appreciate the opportunity to comment on this ordinance. I, um, I provided you and the staff comments um, in that regard. I think, first of all, I'd like to start by saying that, that there's, there's no intent in regards to the brewers particularly um, a, a, to avoid site plan, building code, requirements, whatever it is in regards to those things. I mean, that's not what this is about. Um, It's really about percentage, the percentage requirement of 50%, which I explained in my letter to you why it was problematic, Um, and the conditional use provisions. In regards to the conditional use provisions, is there another way to do it? Or is there a less onerous way? Or maybe even there's a way to split it a little bit. I'll explain that in just a second. But 
the 50 percent, uh, the state requirement is that one product be produced in the, on a farm in the state of Maryland. That's what the liquor code says. Perhaps this board look to one product be produced on the farm itself for a brewery. Um, and you might even be able to bolster that by, ha- by having Mr. Drummond and Ms. Mordock, maybe I can assist a little bit in coming up and how you define the product as being an important product or a principal product. But this percentage thing, it just isn't going to work because, because the, the percentages go to the grains and those aren't produced here. Um, is water considered a percent if you're getting the water from the site? Isn't that why these are in commercial districts? Is that going to my team? No, I think you need to address that. I'm not going to address whether or not you should allow this on farms. I mean, if that's what the hearing's about, then let's have another procedure and introduce another ordinance prohibiting it on farms. You've already made that decision, so I'm not not here to address that, and I'm not going to. In regards to the conditional use, a standard for a conditional use approval is whether or not there is evidence that the use at that location will be more adverse than it would be elsewhere in the zoning district, have a more adverse impact. That's a pretty high standard, meaning that most places are going to be okay. My suggestion was coming up with supplemental uses, supplemental standards for these uses where you say, if you want the use, you've got to do site plan, okay, you've got to do building code and all that, and then it has to be on a farm of such and such a size. You can establish the setbacks, the percentage or size of any tap room, and you can do all that right down the line, and then do you have to send it to the board in every instance? Perhaps a threshold question for you is, because this issue about events has come up, you know, are you going to have you know, a promotional event that's going to have 200 people there or 300 people? Maybe what the commission says is, look, if you're going to do... Uh, farm brewery, uh, and you're going to do a tap room, if you want to do promotional events, that's a conditional use. You've got to go to the Board of Appeals for that, because that's what generates the extra traffic and so on. I put that in my letter to you. Thank you, thank you very much, and I'll answer any questions. Thank you, Mr. Stevens. Thank you, Mr. Thomas. But that wasn't, I just want to that wasn't trying to be skullduggery. <laughs> Are there any questions for Mr. Stevens? Hearing none. Thank you, Mr. Stevens. Going on to our Zoom? Go on to our Zoom. Okay. Mute our room. I'm going to unmute myself in the Zoom so our guests can hear me. Can you hear me now? Okay. Um, Good morning, everyone, or good afternoon at this point. Um, I'm here with my wife, uh, Shauna. I'm Brian Truitt. We're the ones that inquired about starting a distillery. Just to give you a little bit of background on our operation, we moved up to our family farm in 2014, a farm that's been in the family for over 100 years. Um, we were able to move up here after uh, my grandmother passed away, and we started with animals. We started with alpacas. Uh, property's been leased out to the same family down the road, the Appenzellers, for over 50 years, and we don't plan on changing that. But in order to, um, I guess, supplement our income and 
push some more alpaca products, we decided the best way to do that after doing some research was to possibly start a farm brewery. And this was first started back in 2012 by Milkhouse Brewery out in Frederick County. Uh, I had home brewed myself and we wanted to give it a shot. And eventually after uh, the commissioners and uh, with support from the plant and zoning office approved farm breweries back in 2017, we were able to open up and uh, it has supported our agriculture endeavors whether it be with alpacas, our goat's milk soap, um, the pork we raise here on the farm. We do have corn mazes, and we've uh, consistently reinvested all profits back into the farm uh, since day one. So uh, I think the percentage requirement that's been proposed would really kind of handcuff us because, uh, like it's been mentioned, we are competing with other breweries, Um whether it's in Maryland or Delaware, just to have people stop by. And I think we've done a pretty good job with that. As far as buying grain in the state, there's only three grain producers in the state and they do have a limited supply. And a lot of them don't like to go up against proximity in Laurel, Delaware, which is probably the biggest grain producer on the East coast of the United States. So that's uh, one reason why, why, meeting that percentage would be tough as well as uh, the hops. The University of Maryland Extension Office has proven time and time again that uh, growing hops in Maryland, uh, it just doesn't work. Uh, I think the environment's way too humid. And uh, for us to do that at uh, the level we're using hops, just there's no way we can make it. We do like to use local products and we try as much as we can. Um, I think there are other farm breweries out there that do advertise all local beers. And uh, that's definitely attractive if that's something that we can provide to our customers. Um, but um, it's not a, a staple at these other farm breweries that are, um, you know, out in Frederick County. There's a couple of them. Hartford County, Falling Branch is what we tried to emulate our operation after. And, uh, so we're okay. Uh, again, just, we're hoping that, uh, no percentage can be reduced or removed and thank you for your time. I'm more than happy to answer any questions you may have. Bring it back to our room. Go ahead. Uh, uh Sheila actually has a comment, so I'm going to go back to Sheila. This is just a question for, um, Bruce, and someone had recommended to us uh, in their testimony that the 50% uh, local product be changed to 50% state product. Um, your testimony suggested that maybe um, it would be hard to get products in state. Uh, do you concur with that 50% in state? Or um, what percentages of state and local product would you find reasonable for the uh, operation that you're trying to achieve? Uh, honestly, I'd say about 10%. And then we could go off of that. Like I said, the three grain producers in the state of Maryland, um, if you go out to any of their websites, you cannot even order. It has to be like a special deal. They just don't, uh, 
I guess, market it that way as opposed to, you know, the wholesalers out there. And it's just unfortunate, but it's definitely something that we would try to do. And uh, just the different grains that are out there, we were supposed to collaborate with another uh, brewery and they wanted to use English grain because it gives a certain flavor to the specific type of beer that we were trying to achieve for the specific time of uh, um, time of the year. Um, we would use as much as we could source, but um, there's no guarantee like Mr. Jackson mentioned before, if um, we have a bad year or if our suppliers, our three grain suppliers, or I'd say maybe half of a dozen uh, hop suppliers within the state have a bad year, that would really um, uh, impact our operations and, you know, the, the different uh, events that we do hold up here, um, supporting local charities, fire departments, and things of that nature, and our agritourism business, as well as uh, regular farm operations. Oh, okay. Um, when you say 10%, you mean 10% state, it's sourced from the state, or 10% local, or... What percent local and what percent state are are um, achievable in your uh, estimation? I would say ten percent state, uh, no requirement local. Thank you. And we're back in the room. So, um, Brian, I have a question for you as well. Are you uh, required by law to, if you get this? to follow the commercial guidelines for breweries to file with the ATF and um, receive permission to brew? I'm going to go over to Brian. Uh, yes, sir. Um, our, the, our process, how we were uh, first started, and this was given us by the Brewers Association of Maryland, is first thing we do is make sure that uh, the operations permitted via planning and zoning for the specific county, which, you know, we went down that path with the support of the county's planning and zoning office. And then we took our uh, operational site plan and uh, submitted it to the TTB, which is the federal licensing board. And uh, they worked with us. They did a really good job of um, helping us navigate through the paperwork nightmare. And then once that was done, we reached out to the comptroller's office and then we received our class eight farm brewery license. And uh, when the field enforcement agent came up to review the site plan with us and take a look at the farm, you know, he did mention that this was a perfect place to have an operation like this. And I think they went ahead and said all 103 acres were allowed to um, we were allowed to serve alcohol in that. Any other questions for Mr. Truitt? Next. Thank you, Brian. All right, next we have Kevin. Thank you very much. And uh, I wanted to first thank uh, Amy and the planning staff for their work. Uh, we worked with Amy in Kent County and uh, appreciate the effort that she's undertaking. 
Um, you have uh, some testimony from me via a letter to the planning staff and then a letter uh, sent yesterday to the planning commission. So I'll, I'll just be brief and, and stick to some high level points and I'm happy to take your questions. Um, um, with Grow and Fortify, which is a, a, a group uh, that deals with value-added agriculture across the state. We manage the Brewers Association of Maryland, the Maryland Wineries Association, and the Distillers Guild. We and our, our team have seats on the Ag Commission. Um, we have, have helped to draft uh, the, agri- uh, the agritourism uh, and agricultural enterprise legislation that, that uh, Ms. Mordock referred to. Uh, we also uh, were the lead in drafting the state's new alcohol production facility language that is uh, now in the planning code, which provides jurisdictions uh, like yours guidance uh, and and a very clean definition, uh, which stays out of the weeds of state alcohol law and stays out of the weeds of what is a brewery, how is it different from a distillery, how is it different from a winery. There's a a sense lately uh, in jurisdictions to look forward um, they're creating this singular alcohol definition as a way to avoid this confusion and, and, as I said in my letter, future-proof the discussions going forward. Because if you make uh, beer, how is that different really than making wine, than making spirit, than making cider, mead, uh, et cetera? So uh, we're trying to avoid a situation where someone sets up a production facility and then they get approval as one use and then they decide, I've got products that I'm making here that I can also distill. I'm going to start a distillery. It's still an alcohol producer, but in many cases uh, we're finding in jurisdictions that, that they run up against not being able to have two uses or having to go through a separate hearing. A couple of other points that I'd like to, to, uh, to make. One is that uh, there are more alcohol producers in the state on farm than off farm. I just tallied it up. It's about 60, 60, 40. So we have many more producers throughout the state, wine, beer, and spirits that are um, on farms and off farms. Uh, Mr. Commissioner, I think you might have been referencing Fire Tower in in Cecil County. Um, that's that's one of our newer farm breweries, and there are uh, f- uh, five farm breweries around the state, either open or in the planning. Um, we are uh, working actively at the state level to eternally change alcohol code. So um, we're trying to help counties create definitions that aren't reliant upon the specifics of alcohol code. All the alcohol code is uh, based on uh, serious negotiation between industries and legislators and our regulators at the state level. So it's not wise for county planning to rely on state alcohol law. Instead, rely on state planning code where there is a new. Thank you for your support on this. And go back to our room. And we're back. Are there any questions for Kevin? And for the record, that was Kevin Addicks, A-T-T-I-C-K-S. He didn't mention his last name. All right. No questions? Nothing from Sheila. Next. I'm going to mute the room. We're going to go back in the Zoom.
Good afternoon. My name is Jana Howley, and I am also with Grow and Fortify, working with Kevin Addicts. Um, I just wanted to speak to the ingredient percentage um, proposal. Um, and as Brian has already mentioned, that's incredibly restrictive for anybody who's attempting to get into um, a farm-based craft alcohol production business. Um, the um, barriers to entry to start a craft alcohol business are are high anyway. And coming up with a percentage uh, requirement, especially at a local level, is incredibly uh, difficult. Um, if there is any type of requirement that might be helpful, it may be considering perhaps, you know, something like Montgomery County, where they suggest that some ingredients used in the production process need to be grown on site or potentially coming up with a minimum acreage requirement, which is a lot easier to um to be able to monitor and uh, then a percentage requirement, which is extremely difficult to monitor and to enforce. Um, as Brian had also mentioned, you know, hops and grains are very difficult to procure at the state level. Um, it's sort of still in its infancy of having um, the infrastructure to be able to provide malted grains, for example. Um, but there can be more flexibility if people, you know, use fruit and grapes and, and hops and grains kind of additionally to make their products. Um, so the other concern we also have is if there's a crop failure, as was mentioned by somebody else, um, that effectively wipes out the capability of that craft alcohol producer to have a product at all. And I don't think anybody wants that for somebody who goes into this type of venture. Um, Farm-based alcohol producers are farms first um, and craft alcohol producers second. So we really want to give them the flexibility they need uh, to get the ingredients in multiple ways to create really high-quality products. Thank you, yes. I'm going to mute our Zoom and I'm going to come back to our room. And we're in the room. I think the only comment I have is, unfortunately, Mr. Jackson, Mr. Priest, the farmers in the room, they have crop failures all the time. So trying to make that statement here, they deal with those impacts all the time. So if there's a crop failure, regardless, you're not going to be able to make that. So that's the only comment I had. Yeah, but by allowing it to get to other areas, they could basically import it from somewhere else. Where if you say it has to be 50% produced here, means they can shut down production that year because they can't do it. Which one are you for? Pardon? Which one are you for? Which one are you for? Am I for? Getting crops from somewhere else and bringing it here and, and processing it, or it has to be here? I would like to see them do it local, but I don't want to require that because if they set up and have two good years... And they've built up this demand, and we have a crop failure. Where does that put them? Out of business, basically. So I think they should have that option. To me, ideally, they should be local, and hopefully they'll advertise this is 50% local if that's possible. And let the consumers decide that. But I don't think we put that requirement on them because basically it's not going to allow them to do it, to even start. I like local. Would it make better sense to call this a commercial use and allow it in the ag district? Because that's really what it is. Uh, 
that rhetorical, or was that no, was that a legitimate, legitimate suggestion? It's a legitimate question because that's really what right. it is. Right. I mean, it's being characterized um, and um, lobbied as a agricultural practice. And the more we're hearing, it, it isn't really. It's an it's additional revenue source, and legitimately so, for farmers. But it, Especially its, its connection to the farming operations is very attenuated. Initially, that sounded very negative when he said it. But when you think about it, it is. Farmers are commercial, and we're talking about a business here. I mean, it's... But I just wouldn't want to see Queen Anne's County be so restrictive that in the instance of there, when I talked with Brian like a month ago, he was ready to throw up his hand and say, forget it. Can't do it. So I think it's an opportunity here for Queen Anne's County. They can represent us well. But we have to give them a little flex room to stay in business and be honest. And that's not him having two years. And he either has to cheat. Or go out of business. I don't want to make him a crook. So, understood. And good comments. Thank you, everyone. All right, we'll continue with public comment before we go into final discussion. I'm gonna mute the room. Thank you, Jenna. And we're going. Good afternoon, commissioners. Can you hear me? Uh, my name is Barry Griffith. I'm with Lane Engineering, 354 Pennsylvania Avenue, Centerville. I am concerned about the proposed zoning ordinance text amendment uh, on the grounds that it, it is likely um, uh, counterproductive to the su- successful achievement of state and county goals and objectives promoting agriculture, agribusiness, and agritourism. Lane Engineering represents Mr. Kip Fuchs, the owner of a 270-acre farm located on the south side of Route 50 east of Queenstown. This is currently a working farm. The county was advised at a pre-application meeting on February 6, 2019, of Mr. Fuchs' intent to develop and operate a farm brewery at this location, consistent with existing uh, county and state rules and regulations pertaining to farm uh, breweries. Um, Mr. Fuchs' brother is here, and I think you will hear direct testimony from him that might set you a little bit at ease uh, there is an intention with this operation to grow crops that will be used in the production of uh, beer at this facility. And in fact, to make that field and the growth of those crops part and parcel of the farm brewery experience uh, in terms of its proximity to the proposed facilities. My specific technical concerns regarding what staff has put forward are the same as expressed by Mr. Stevens. Uh, but furthermore, um, you know, as a practicing land use planner for 34 years, what, what I'm, I'm mainly concerned about here is that while some of these um, provisions in terms of clarifying definitions and correcting code references are administrative in nature, uh, some of these represent, uh, others represent a major policy shift, the 50% rule and the conditional use situation. And I would point out that while we've heard Mr. Drummond and others theorize about the, uh, the potential problems and the commercial nature of these things and the large crowds, nothing has actually occurred in Queen Anne's County uh, or even uh, close proximity to us here on the shore 
uh, that I think would warrant whatever these concerns are. Um, so I, I see this somewhat as a worry that we may be throwing the baby out with the bathwater uh, and that we're trying to overregulate something to, pre- to prevent a problem that hasn't even really occurred. And as a result, um, we are going to be working counterproductive to our stated goals and objectives through our Economic Development Commission, our, our comprehensive plan, where we're supposed to be trying to promote agriculture, agribusiness, and agritourism. So I think what Mr. Stevens and Mr. Fuchs and I have put forward uh, as some alternative suggestions should be looked at as a better approach to maybe find that balance that Ms. Mordock was looking for. Thank you. I'm going to mute our Zoom. And now we're in the room. Are there any questions for Mr. Griffith? Sheila. Uh, Sheila has one. All right. I'm going to mute our room. I have uh, two questions, one for um, Jana and one for uh, Mr. Griffin. Uh, with respect to Jana's testimony, I don't know if she's still there. Um, <laughs> um, she mentioned uh, using the number of acres as a standard. Could you um, elaborate on that a little bit more? The number of, are you talking about the number of acres that would be committed to growing something related to the production or the number of acres that is dedicated to um, the brewery operation or what, what are you, you just mentioned number of acres might be an alternative to 50% local product. What could you just explain that a little more fully? Sure, that's a, a, a metric that other counties have adopted as a, a more reasonable way to ensure that um, the farm is actually a farm and trying to use their own ingredients in the product. Um, so, and that also creates a little bit more flexibility. Um, it's easier to monitor uh, an acreage versus a percentage. Um, and as I mentioned, that gives people flexibility to plant or grow uh, what works for them at their site. Um, you know, as um, Brian, be a number of acres dedicated to what? It could be a number of acres uh, dedicated to ingredients that would go into the product. Okay, I understand now. And for Mr. Griffin. Um, what is the nature of the problem that um, that is anticipated here? Is it does it relate to the consumption of the alcohol on site and the possible rowdiness of the crowd or traffic at the site related to the consumption? Or what is the nature of the, of the problem that um, that you think we're trying to control or that you would? perceive that we're trying to control and is there a way perhaps by and limiting maybe elsewhere or maybe there's already someplace elsewhere that limits it the um, amount of product that could be consumed on site as opposed to purchase for off-site use uh, thank you miss tolliver um i i'm not an expert in the operation of a farm brewery um i do understand that there are uh, regulations at the state level that talk about how much seeding you can have. Uh, the fact that you, you know, you, the food, the food you serve is very limited. 
these are not intended to be uh, a bar type operation that people are going to come to uh, and hang out for long periods of time and, and drink to excess. It's more of a an experience type um, uh, event. And, and, and Mr. Fuchs, who will be up after me, can talk a little more specifically about that. Regarding the concerns, I think what we've been hearing um, from and Mr. Drummond's evidence this uh, quite a bit today, it just generally that that there's some perception or fear that this becomes a commercial use that would be uh, inherent to have all the typical uh, problems you could see with any commercial use um, in an area that's not traditionally a commercial area, um, traffic, uh, noise, objections to neighbors, hours of operation, um, all things that, that, that are understandably, uh, you know, you, you might see with a commercial, with a typical commercial establishment, specifically a bar. But that's not what this is, uh, and that's not what my client intends to, to construct and develop. And I just fear that an, an overreaction to uh, a, a negative perception is, is going to be ultimately result in making it difficult, if not impossible, to develop what we say we actually want, which is a farm brewery. And, you know, we have other counties um, nearby us um, that have a similar uh, – access to major roads with, uh, with a lot of traffic where they something like that with a lot of farms along those roads where something like this could be an successful, a successful agritourism um, facility and that are not going to be as restrictive. So, you know, if we can't do it here, we're going to have to go find a place in Worcester County or Talbot County or, or wherever. So I just don't want us to be um, over, over regulating this, to the point where we make it uh, difficult to meet our goals and objectives to try to promote this. Are there standards related to the conditional, to the granting of the conditional use that might be appropriate to respond to those kinds of concerns? I, I remember, for example, when we had wedding facilities and things in agricultural districts, those kinds of concerns were raised and I think we may have discussed, if not adopted, some standards related to hours or number of events per year. Or is there something like that that would be an appropriate way to both allow the use but um, limit the um, possible intrusion into the peacefulness of the farmland? There are, there are in the state regulations limits on what they call promotional events. And they are uh, licensed through the through the state licensing. Mr. Fuchs probably knows a lot more than I do about this. Um, you know, we we may want to coincide the uh, event of having a new type of brew uh, coexist in the fall with with a pumpkin thing or you know some themed thing. So there's that's how these 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 things typically work. Um, and there are. Um, in, in, in the proposal that Mr. Stevens put forward, some specific conditions that we've talked to our clients about, and they would be more than willing to apply to their property. And, and I think they would be reasonable for any farm uh, brewery. It talks about, you know, only a certain percentage of the overall space you're creating for the brewery in terms of the building, you know, you can use for, for having, for tasting. Um, it, it, it might limit, you know, how much mer area you can use for merchandising. Um, 
But, you know, I, there's other ways to do it besides kind of throwing it out to the Board of Appeals as a wide open uh, conditional use case where, you know, quite frankly, um, anything can happen at a Board of Appeals. It, one one neighbor objecting or one interest group objecting and uh, it makes just makes the process much more difficult. Under Mr. Stevens' proposal, the Planning Commission would still be reviewing this, and you would be looking at all these things and making your own determinations as to whether or not this worked within the scale of the regulations and, and your ideas of what's appropriate for the area. Thank you. I'm going to mute our Zoom, and I'm going to come back over to our commissioners. Let's go back in the room. I'd like to say that uh, despite uh, Barry's uh, commentary on my comments, I have no negative or positive thoughts about this proposed use. Um, I'm trying to characterize it properly. It's being called; these are being called farm breweries and farm distilleries. I think they're distilleries and breweries that happen to be on a farm. Um, based on what we've been hearing today. That's not a criticism. It's just, I think, what we've been hearing. Thank you. Next. Uh, We did have a comment, uh, if it helps, that uh, Patriot Acres and Brian had said that going commercial would require a different license from us. We would need a Class 5 rather than a Class 8. That was in our chat. Uh, We're going to go back into our Zoom Hi, James Folks. Uh, can you all hear me all right? Okay. Um, but again, James, my name is James Folks. Uh, I do work with my brother, Kip, uh, at the Big Truck Farms, uh, and we are building currently building a farm brewery in Parkton, Maryland. Um, I think one of the things that from looking at a farm brewery is that it's looking at what is possible on the farm. And, and it's, um, it's not a bar. It's not a place for you to go uh, and get food. It's there to experience a farm, you know, and you're experiencing some of the products that are made on the farm. And also, you know, when you talk about, uh, I'll go to Jana's uh, the comment about how much the acreage is. When you talk about growing hops on a farm, we have eight acres on our current farm, and that takes up about 20 acres of space just due to the size and limitations of things. So putting acreage as a uh, deterrent or it, they're all, they all become deterrents to opening up a possible uh, brewery or a possible location for, you know, a farmer to do something uh, because you can only put these things in certain places um, they don't want to grow just anywhere you say, okay, well, uh, we'll put them in the far corner. Uh, it's not necessarily possible from a water or a usage standpoint, but, um, I think that also when coming to a farm brewery, people are bringing their families, they're bringing in children, uh, they're going there to, you know, pick up something to leave. It's not there to, uh, be entertainment for an all day event. Um, 
as far as those things go on a daily work schedule. Uh, they're all still working farms. They all still produce crops. Um, uh, uh, and uh, I think, um, and I'm sorry if I'm kind of going all over the place, but it's trying to keep my notes on file here. The When you talk about uh, growing crops on that certain farm, when you talk about mass crops and breweries and distilleries take mass amounts of product when you talk about wheat, barley, um, and things like that, you need a mass amount. Well, when you talk about a farm trying to grow that mass amount, you also have to rotate those crops. So you wouldn't necessarily be able to grow that crop all the time. Um, but it is a single use product. Um, uh, uh, but that's really all I had for, for my notes. Um, by any means, if there's any questions, we've been building this for the last five years now. So um, please feel free to ask. Thank you. And we are back with us. Go ahead. James, the only question I have is, what's the square footage of your facility in Parkville? Right. Hold on one second. We're going to go back. Um, it is uh, currently a... Uh, 40 or excuse me a 50 by 100 foot barn so sorry if i don't have the math on that <laughs> back into our room and now we're back thank you okay thank you james we're going to move on to jenny road so i'm going to mute our room Hey, good afternoon. This is Jenny Rhodes. I work for the University of Maryland Extension. I'm a county uh, ag agent and um, lifelong member of uh, Queen Anne's County and also a farmer. I appreciate appreciate everyone's um, comment and Commissioner Jackson, I mean, was right on with his with his comments. Some of the things that I just wanted to, to tell, you know, was remember the ingredients, they come from a farm somewhere. So we even if it's not grown in our county or our state, we are promoting agriculture, I think, which is um, really important. I really hate would hate to see a percentage put on this because, as everyone has talked about, um, Mother Nature, we never know, you know, what's going to happen, um, you know, on our farms, in our area, whether it's, you know, right here in Maryland or Delaware. And I think if we go back to the state, you know, that really talks about one product from the state. Thank goodness our state is diversified. I say we go from the beach to the mountains, so the producers uh, would certainly be able to find you know, one product certainly to put uh, in the in the brew of the beer, um, and that's probably um, about about it. I think we've we've heard enough, and we probably don't need to drag this on anymore. But um, thank you for allowing me um, to comment. We're going to go back to our room, and we're back. Thank you. Any questions for Jenny? Hearing none, uh, next in the public comment list. Uh, we've cleared our public comment for this uh, text amendment. All right. Uh, last call for public comment through the chat. It looks like our chat is clear also. Give people just a minute to make sure. 
Anything? Still good. Okay. We will now close public comment. Well, fellow commissioners, open this up for discussion. Thoughts? Mr. Commissioner, if I may, Mr. Chairman, if I may, um, pose another question to Mr. Truitt. Um, in response to uh, Mr. Drummond's suggestion, or at least uh, theory, uh, idea, if you will, of allowing commercial enterprises in the ag zone, you had responded apparently, and I think I'm attributing it to you correctly, it would require a change in your class of your license. Uh, can you elaborate on what that would mean to your operation, sort of what that would entail? Is that a high bar? Is that just an administrative lift? What that – can you please expand upon that? I'm going to mute our room and – Yes, uh, Mr. Lee, um, thank you for the question. I'll, I'll try my best to answer that, but it might be better directed to Mr. Attic since he's the head of the Brewers Association. Um, currently, we are licensed under a Class 8 farm brewery license uh, through the state, and it does have certain requirements um, that all Class 8 license holders throughout the state need to adhere to. If Queen Anne's County, being the only county that does not follow the Class 8 state license, then more than likely, in order to adhere to the county's uh, more restrictive licensing or uh, uh, approvals, we would more than likely have to switch to a different license that might, um, I don't know if it has more restrictions, but it wouldn't be in line with the farm brewery uh, license intent that the state put out uh, back in 2012. Um, I'm sorry if I didn't answer that probably to your, to your measure, but I would kind of like to pass that to uh, Mr. Addicts. Would you let me allow, please? Sure. I'm still here. I, I've changed my background, um, not a virtual background. It's actually a car, so I'm, I'm pulled off safely. Um, the to, to answer the question, the, um, the, the state looks at all alcohol manufacturers as commercial entities. The ones that are on farms, one that are off farms. The federal looks at all alcohol producers as commercial entities, the ones that are on farms or, or non-farm. Um, most jurisdictions in the state, uh, in fact, uh, all but one jurisdiction in the state, allow multiple different types of alcohol producers, irrespective of their state-issued license class, which changes some breweries and wineries switch from one class to another based on the authorities granted by the state alcohol law, which have no impact or no bearing whatsoever on uh, zoning, planning, parking, noise, et cetera. So we, we do see those changes very often. So I, I would, I would, um, I would go back to a couple of the comments that, that were made and reiterate that um, these alcohol producers, whether they're on farms or, or off farms, are commercial, just like all farms are commercial. Agritourism is commercial, et cetera. So I, I would be reluctant to get hung up on a distinction between whether this is a commercial activity or not. It's clearly a commercial activity. They're selling a product. 
but they're selling a product that's made with farm ingredients. And uh, to, to Miss Rhodes' point, um, whether those ingredients are grown on site or they're grown uh, off site uh, at, at a farm nearby, or uh, as happens very often with our farm producers somewhere in Maryland, or as uh, the Truett's pointed out, it could be right over the border is where a lot of the grain comes from, proximity malt. Um, so, you know, that it's, it's still supporting, their activity is still supporting their farm being a farm rather than their farm being something else. And I think the, the overarching goal here is to make sure that the farms remain farming and giving them the ability to uh, engage in alcohol production is a great means to that end. Go ahead. So if I'm if I'm understanding uh, Mr. Addicts and, and Mr. Truett both, it I didn't hear the word it would be too onerous. I didn't hear the word it would be overly burdensome. Uh, so I'm 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 very intrigued and curious as to Mr. Drummond's suggestion and wonder if this is an exercise that might be undertaken to vet that a little more thoroughly, that it may be a viable option moving forward if it would satisfy the concerns from the, the speakers um, and the public testimony as well as, you know, some of the nuances in the, in the code and, and with, uh, you know, Vivian and, and Amy's, you know, directive here to, to sort of clean things up and, 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 and make this a better scenario for, for all. That's um, not a motion. It's just a commentary that I, I think may or may not uh, be worth investing in a little further um, with some more conversations, maybe a little more research into code, what the unintended consequences of that would be, or if because I, I had I just it's one of those unique scenarios where I haven't heard somebody said whoa 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 that changes fundamentally what I'm trying to do here. Uh, I did not hear that. I haven't gotten that sense from legal representation in the room or uh, you know Mr. Griffith either. Um, so I I don't know. I sort of I guess I put it out for. Further discussion here on the on the commission, just to get more information. I think those are very valid comments. I didn't hear anybody raise their hand and and make that same impact or, or statement. I think what I heard mostly today is the uh, participation factors of the ingredients, whether it be local, regional. Um, I think those were the largest factors that were raised. Um, is that yeah. general consensus? Um, you know, I personally don't know the difference between a, a Class A and a Class 5. Um, you know, but I do share the concerns that it's, it is a commercial establishment. Uh, I, I know that they are limited to certain events um, by their licenses. Um, However, if you're allowed to, I don't know those numbers off the top of my head. I think when we went through this once before, I want to say once per quarter, but I could be totally off base. Yeah, I don't remember. Um, so I think we need to get some of that information as backup so we can help address this issue so that when we make our recommendation to the commissioners that we, we're fully informed before we make our recommendation. Yes, so. Uh Whomever might be able to answer this question: Are Class Five or Class Eight licenses? Do they limit the um, volume, the annual volume that's produced? 
Maybe Mr. Addix can answer that. I'm, I'm going to mute our room. Sure, uh, with, with my eyes on the road. Um, so, so the, there is a production cap on the class eight. And there is a production class. We haven't discussed much in terms of distilling, uh, but there is a production class on one of the distillery licenses. But uh, in in every other case, uh, there is no production cap there. But I will I will um, warn you that the production caps are not based on anything related to planning or site specifications or use. It's based on. Uh, negotiations with other alcohol industries within the state. So the numbers are all arbitrary, and they do change regularly, which was my point at the beginning. So I would I would uh, advise against linking to any of those numbers, because in the last two years, uh, they've both changed. Good. So the question wasn't... Uh to tie any regulation in the county to production caps, but to get a sense of the intensity of the use. Um, if there is no limit on the production capacity, and it could be a fairly intense use. If there is a, a cap on how much you can produce each year and how much must be sold on site, that's another question. How much must be sold on site and how much can be sold either uh, at retail establishments or mail order. I guess they don't call it mail order anymore, uh, over the Internet. He's raising his hand. You want me to go back over? Okay. Hey, thank you. So so in, in terms of uh, the production, so what's interesting is we've got the farm brewery license and we've got the Class 7 microbrewery license, uh, which... restaurant. Um, just looking at the Brewers Association of Maryland uh, website, it does have the different licensing. Um, evidently, I was incorrect. Um, and uh, At first, actually, no, I was correct. So uh, class eight is a farm brewery. Um, it does have some limitations because it wants to main the state wanted to maintain the the ag I guess ambiance. But if we were to switch to a class five, which is probably the only other um, license we could obtain, you would truly get a bar on a farm. Um, the licensing is a little bit less restrictive. Um, it allows a lot more, um, uh, I guess, business to go on. And unlike the Class 8 farm brewery license that we adhere to, we do have certain hours that we're um, supposed to be open. Uh, we are restricted to certain requirements. Uh, the Class 5 leaves it pretty much wide open. So you imagine um, what we're doing now. No harm, no foul, but if you'll 
kind of uh, want to put that if you want to have a brewery on a farm in Queen Anne's County, you have to get a class five license. You're really opening up the doors for, uh, say, the Guinnesses, uh, you know, the, the other big breweries to come in and kind of, you know, not to have to adhere to those requirements that keep the, the farm breweries, you know, ag in nature. Hopefully that makes sense. <laughs> mute our uh, Zoom and we're back in the room. I have, uh, I have a question, I think, for Amy. Do we know what, uh, going back to the percentages, that uh, it's 50%, do we know what other counties uh, in Maryland are doing or what, what their regulations are? There are counties that do not address the, the, the amount of product other than it has to be a, a local product and a byproduct of the, of the farm operation. So we could go in that direction. Um, there aren't, I did not find counties that specified a percentage. Um, Jana. Out of Montgomery County yes, it, says some. I was like, Jana mentioned that uh, Montgomery County's example uh, is basically consistent with what I found, and that's some ingredients need to be grown on site. Um, but I don't believe that there are counties that are specific to a percentage. Like I mentioned, that percentage comes from our code that is um, specific to farm products at a temporary farm stand. So that's where that comes from. I think because that percentage has sort of derailed the review of this proposal to such a degree, I think that Vivian and I probably regret throwing it in there, but we we wanted to have a dialogue about how we're going to quantify this use. And I just want to clarify that the licenses that are referenced are specific to farm operations. And there is never an intention to frame this use in definition and in its um, applicability to the purpose and intent of each district that this is not commercial. This is commercial. So there's really no need to be hung up on that distinction. There are commercial activities that are permitted on farms that are subordinate to the industry of the farm itself. So just to be clear, this is a commercial operation that would be specified and defined as a permitted conditional use on the property. So there's never uh, an intention to frame it in any other way because agritourism, agribusiness, that, that it is a, as, our test, as testimony has intimated, this is a commercial operation. Um, and there are commercial operations that are already listed as permitted uses and as special exception uses. We, the reason we propose this use as a conditional use is it is consistent as a conditional use to 
other conditional uses that are listed, and also more recently to the special event uses, so that some of the agritourism venues are rooted in an alcohol production facility. There are promotional uses that are ancillary to that agriculture production facility. A lot of those promotional uses are also outlined in the licenses. And the licenses that we've noted are specific to farm operations. And, you know, remember, we're talking about farm operations in, a, in the ag district and in countryside. We're not talking about the other zoning districts where this a distillery would already be a permitted use as, as, an, in, as an industrial use or as a commercial operation, as the production of a product. Um, sometimes there's an extra level of review that might be affiliated with a special event. There could be an instance where you have an agritourism operation that is a, micro, a, a brewery where there is a sale of product and a tasting room, but there also might be a wedding event. Well, that wedding event is separate and is a separate special exception. And when staff was reviewing the questions, the inquiries that we've received so far in the county, um, some of the track record with special events, but also the need to support the agritourism industry in this regard within the, within the parameters of this use and of the promotional events, we see that there could be a case when there's too much commercial activity on a property where it takes you beyond the intent of that agricultural district or the countryside district where it might not be appropriate. Um, but allowing that flexibility to go up to that line, wherever that line might be, and that line might be different depending upon the nature of the property, depending upon the neighborhood, and we felt that, that that test are the impacts more intense in this neighborhood than in, that, than in this other neighborhood, which is the bar of a conditional use application. We felt that was appropriate to promoting this use while also establishing some parameters on it. Amy, I don't know I, if that I, helps. I really, well, you, yeah, but you got off on a conditional use, and I wasn't asking that question. I'm still, I have zero on my mind about other other counties. Well, we no. have eight counties in, in Maryland? Eight jurisdictions? 23. 23. 23, well, whatever it is. Let me ask you a question, Tom. Uh, you being a farmer, what what areas of the, is there, are the areas of the state that's conducive to growing hops more so than other areas? Or? We're doing it right on Ken Island. I'm, just, I'm just asking I, the question. I'm just, I'm you can see what grow it, but I really don't know about the quality of it. Hmm? I don't know about the quality. You can grow it. But as I understand, the large part problem with that is labor. In harvesting, it's a kind of a uh, labor-intense product to, to make. And uh, the one area up Northern County that tried it, could not have enough help to do it. So what they've started out is now sitting there empty. 
That's another dinosaur. Um, I kind of feel like I'm, I'm concerned about the impact license and stuff might have it. I think we need more input from the people in the business of what we need to set up to, to make them li a viable operation. I, I think we need more research done yes. on, on some of this. Really, yes. truly, I don't. I'm not. Really I mean, ready I, to I want. Make a decision. I want them to have the opportunity, but I want it to also be a good business when it's set up. It's, I don't think we have enough information right now. But. Thank you. No, you've answered, you've answered the question. What's as you expected? Thank you, Mr. Chairman. You're welcome. All right, are there any other questions, discussion, comments? So based off testimony from what I've heard today is that it's a general consensus we need some additional information, um, whether it include um, the licenses and limitations associated with such licenses, um, because I think that also opens up. I think there's class five, class eight, and class four, which may become applicable within the county. Class four is for wineries, which we already have. Um, I think we need uh, greater input. We heard a lot of the uh, people today testify that, you know, are we going to require one product or multiple products, monitor by acreage, um, regional, um, and last thing we want to do is have someone make the investment to purchase tanks and filtration systems and everything else and then fail. That's not our intent. Um, however, we also have safety and everything else to monitor. So I think we need to look at maybe involve the Office of Zoning um, to look at potential occupant loads that may have to be associated with some of these things or make you know, that recommendation that, you know, that something we need a card in our pocket to make a recommendation to the Board of Appeals. I still believe it should be a conditional use, in my opinion, um, but I think we, we need to gather more information. 50% is probably a high number, um, but I would like to see some more information gathered, and my recommendation would be to table this until the next meeting so we can gather that information and provide a fair and equitable solution to all parties. So I'll open that up for discussion to the, to was the that commission. A, was that a motion you just made? Well, uh, <laughs> it, it can be. <laughs> so we have a motion and a Good. second. So we will open up for discussion. I would agree with your comments there. Um, as much as I'd like to see it done, I want to do it right, and I don't think we can do that right now. Thank you, Amy. After your motion, I would just like some clarification on the additional information that you would like me to provide. Okay, so right now I think we need to identify the three licenses. Right now I have four, five, and eight. Okay. Um, I think that we need to have, um, you know, maybe request some of the testimony today to obtain some additional information and recommendations in writing from them so we can identify different percentages, thought processes, acreage, so that we can maybe fairly evaluate um, ahead of time 
And I think if you send that email out, we can provide input before the meeting um, so we can maybe come back. Did you want copies of the state standards and the license provisions? you want copies of those for review? I, I, I think we need to know what the license limitations are. So are they allowed to have four parties per year? Or, and zoning needs to be involved in that because somehow you now get involved in overcrowding. And then it becomes an enforcement issue between the office of zoning and the police and everything else. It is a, we definitely, you know, if you're serving beer or liquor as a tasting room, is that a bar or is it a tasting room? You know, now you're kind of playing on semantics. Um, you, otherwise, you know, tasting rooms, I think, have limitations on the amount they can serve. I'm sure that our farm breweries don't want to say, I can only serve you a two-ounce sample, but you're free to buy our product and go sit out in the lawn. Maybe that's what they do want. Um, so I think those are some things we, we may want to consider um, as we move forward. Uh, Sheila would like to make a comment. So I'm going to mute our room. and. Uh... I would like to um, add to the request that we have a, made perhaps a chart uh, developed that would show what the provisions are in other counties that have adopted uh, similar provisions and and um, any experience that they may have had that might be instructive to us. It, these are counties in Maryland, obviously, and, um, with any significant agricultural um, activity. And it's kind of surprising that some of the metropolitan counties do have significant Met, uh, agricultural activity, so I wouldn't exclude them. I would, I would ask that they be included as well. I think that would be helpful for dealing with um, some of the issues like the percentage of product or the acreage or whatever, um, whatever provisions we might want to consider. We're now in the room. Uh, if I may, uh, Mr. Chairman, to that, to Ms. Tolliver's point, I'd like to, I guess, encourage Mr. Stevens um, to work. I can't direct you to do this, but um, based on your uh, testimony and your letter on behalf of your, your client, um, the folks at Two Sons Farm, you, you made a, a reference to Talbot County as sort of a hybrid system. I, I would encourage you to maybe expand upon that, I think, to give us a little more uh, a better understanding on how, if this is not a conditional use, it's a by right, what that would mean, how that would look. The, the, the ordinance I attached to the letter is very similar to what Talbot County has. It does not have a percentage requirement. It has an ingredient. It says an ingredient must be produced on the farm, I think it says. Okay. Um, and then the other provisions are very close um, to what Talbot County has, and they're very clear that you're going to do a special event to find someplace else you've got to go. That's good. Okay, I'll review that that attachment. But you're talking about the second page of your letter, right. sir? Yeah. That's correct. Okay. Yeah. And Mr. Boots, I'll have to provide you information on hops production. He has 20,000 plants. I was trying to get someone's attention so they could ask him the question. But we'll provide you that right. Thank you. So, um, did we vote on that to table? No. So the motion and a second. We have a motion and a second. Um, Amy, you have, I guess, comprehensively a general idea. I, yes. Lots of notes. I have notes. 
Um, please feel free to, to send us emails. I, if I will. Anything. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so with that, um, we have a motion and a second. Is there any further discussion? Hearing none, uh, all in favor? Aye. 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 I'm going to mute our room. Aye. Sorry. All right, you're back in now. Thank you. That is unanimous. Um, thank you very much. This text amendment is tabled. Ending additional information. Okay. My notes back here. Next item on the agenda, miscellaneous staff items. I have one update. Um, the county commissioners on Tuesday evening approved staff's uh, recommendation on a um, new consultant to pick up the gauntlet with our 2020 comprehensive plan update. Uh, we put forward the name of the second, the, the, cer- the firm who was ranked second of the four uh, applications that we received, and that firm is Wallace Montgomery. Uh, Staff worked with them to uh, amend their original submittal, which they have done, and we have submitted that updated. uh, They put together a very brief um, executive summary of changes to their original proposal, We presented that to the county commissioners for a vote, and they have authorized our department to move forward to enter into a contract with Wallace Montgomery. Uh, We will send the notice to proceed to the company today and uh, hopefully execute that contract within the next week so we can start that process rolling again. They're a good firm. Thank you for the updates. Anything else? Amy? I don't have anything else. Uh, Mike did raise his hand. Mike, do you still need to make a comment? No. Okay. So with that, um, we will go to public comments. We do have one on Zoom. I guess no one in the room, right? All right, I'm going to kick it over. I'm going to mute our room. Hi, uh, I'm Barbara Obert uh, from Ken Island. Uh, as you may recall, I've filed a public information request uh, on March 3rd pertaining uh, to uh, Smith Planning and Design's br- abrupt withdrawal from the county uh, comp plan process. I'm glad to hear that you're about to bring in a replacement uh, contractor uh, to pick it up. Um, but the reasons for uh, my concerns still remain, uh, you know, any impact to our overall cost timeline and the ability of the public to be a part of the process, as well as the process itself, one that ended so abruptly, um, are there underlying issues, you know, were there underlying issues that needed to be addressed so we have a, a valid um, and public-involved process moving forward? Uh, I did receive a PDF of the documentation by the time frame required, and 
uh, although some docs are uh, documents are missing, I'd really like to address the core issues that speak to the integrity and transparency of what happens in this process off camera, you know, off camera out of the room when the public's not involved. Because the big difference between the 2020 comp plan, which is being called an update versus prior ones, was there isn't an ongoing citizens advisory group that's part of the decision-making recommendation process. We're being allowed to come into certain areas and submit some comments, but the decision-making is taking place in a different place, uh, is taking place in a different place behind uh, closed doors. And in as it pertains to the contractor uh, who just left, you know, the question still remain, why would a... That a contractor doing other business with the county, working on comp plans or something similar for other counties, suddenly uh, up and uh, not want to be involved in this one project with Queen Anne County. Um, and of the documentation that I received, and I assume that the Planning Commission received all the documentation at the same time on April 1st, there's one particular sub- substantive and serious revelation there that was concerned, and that's specifically that this contractor no longer wanted to be involved with this project uh, because of the, and they cited the behavior of chairman of the planning commission as the central factor in their departure. Uh, there was also do- other documentation that referenced that the county commissioners asked for the resignation of uh, the chairman uh, of the planning commission from the planning commission, although that uh, letter was omitted from the documentation that was provided. I'm at three minutes. Okay. That I will leave you with the questions. Why hasn't this been addressed? Thank you. We are now back in our meeting room. And Sheila would like to make a comment. Okay. okay. Um, sure. Okay. I'm going to mute our room real quick. Real quick. I just was going to uh, suggest that perhaps we indulge the comments uh, a little longer so that we can hear the substance of um, Ms. Obert's um, discussion that she apparently intended to give us. Um, like I th- it seemed, seemed like there was more that needed to be said, and I'd like to hear what it is. Since she's not, she's not commenting on a bill or something where equity, among other speakers, is, um, is a necessity, I thought it, it might be worth our time to indulge a few more minutes of her time. How about for succinctness of time, I will raise some questions, which I hope will be answered in the process. And the substantive questions are, um, where is the documentation from the commissioners requesting that the chairman resigned? Um, uh, and since that hasn't happened, And we are back in the room. So ultimately, I'm going to refer to counsel. Um, but it's we did receive your letter, 
And I think if there's missing documentation that you believe uh, from the PIA, which was filed, I believe there's an appeal process in which you can file for appeal to have them re-scrub for the additional documents. To the best of my knowledge, no one from the Planning Commission has received that package um, that you received on April 1st, I believe you mentioned in that date. Um, so before the Planning Commission can fairly address anything, um, I think we need to review all the documents that you may have or may not have received. Um, but I believe through the PIA there is an appeal process. Mr. Drummond, am I correct in that? It's not really an appeals process. It's a there's a procedure by which uh, a person who requests access to public records um, may well, let's use the word complain. Um, complain isn't the right verb, um, but it's the one that comes to mind right now to the custodian of records, which is not the planning commission. Um, that the requester believes that their response was incomplete. Um, and I've, I don't know if there's a time period within which that uh, a notice of incompleteness needs to be presented to the custodian of records. Um, I believe that if there is an ongoing dispute between the public agency and the requester, I believe that the matter is um, ultimately would end up in the circuit court. So, um, Ms. Obrick, uh, I will allow you to continue um, and respectfully request that um, you offer us the opportunity to review the packet in which you have received because I don't know what you've received um, and if there are indeed missing documents. So not only me, but the, all the commission. So um, we'll, we will let you go ahead and finish up um, and finish your, comment, your comments, please. All right, I'm going to mute the room. Thank you. Um, uh, and my other question is, if uh, once you review the documents, if uh, you see that uh, the request for resignation um, is there and wasn't acted on um, for a particular reason, what is that reason and what has what will change in the process with the new contractor to ensure that something similar doesn't happen again. Uh, Ms. Smith noted in her document that um, uh, that the chairman and the commission are in a position of power over her and her firm. You know, one might argue that they are in a position of power over any contractor firm uh, who is submitting to you to make uh, specific decisions. And uh, that being it's, uh, that along with some criticisms about her, her voice and public floggings and so forth. Uh, and you'll see the language when you read the documentation, uh, that raises concerns about what will change in the process with the new contractor. If these kinds of things indeed took place 
And if there was a request for a resignation that wasn't fulfilled, what has changed? So I'll leave you with that question, uh, with that uh, final question moving forward. And I will assume that I will, uh, my request for uh, uh, what I see as a couple of missing documents. Uh, there's no reason not to fulfill them, uh, as well as the uh, final timetable and budget scenarios as $39,000 of, uh, appear to be paid on a $191,000 contract. Uh, so how is that going to impact the cost of the county taxpayers over the long run? Uh, I will look at the documentation provided for, for the commissioner's meeting this week, and hopefully that will answer that question as well. Thank you. room <laughs> and we are now back Good. so thank you very much miss obrick um we appreciate your comments and i will reach out uh to county commissioner or to the county executive mr todd mon um cc all our fellow commissioners and let them know uh you know so we can receive those documents so uh with that um is there any other public comment more in the room so um, I would like to ask that the Planning Commission stay on board and we go to an executive session. Whoa, 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 Can we do that? Whoa, whoa. Chris? No? I don't know. You haven't articulated a reason. Uh, to discuss uh, Ms. Obrick's comments and a path forward uh, with the county executive for documentation. I'm sure no? that that is a... Um, those I don't see that as a grounds for for an executive session. Um, okay. So we will make the request for um, to the county executive to send to the planning commission all the documents in which were sent to Ms. Obrick to for her PIA from April first, okay. and then we'll go from there. Okay. Perfect. Are there any questions, comments, anything else from the commission? Uh, I'm curious, Mr. Chairman, if you'd like to address the email that Ms. Smith sent to Mr. Mon at this point. If you, if, if, if you agree with or, or find her recollection and, and testimony as, as being fair and accurate, or I'm talking about the email dated February 27 that Ms. Obert provided to us um, this morning. Well, um let me say this. Ms. Obert's uh, email did attach an email from Ms. Smith, which Ms. Obert did not attach, um, which she did receive, was Mr. Reese's response to that email. Okay. So, therefore, um, that's an incomplete package. Yeah. That. So, I mean, he can address it if he wants, but I, and I'm not – I don't know what happened in that room that day. I know what Ms. Smith says, and I've seen the email that Mr. Reese – sent to Mr. Mon. Um, so I don't know what happened, but Ms. Obert did, did not favor you with his response to that email. Personally, I'd like to see all the documentation, I want to see the documentation before we discuss it. That's right. I think that's a reasonable request. Well, my question still stands, Mr. Chairman. You're welcome to delay that response if you so choose, but just while we're here, um, and I'm, I'm, like I'm, and I, and I will preface that by saying there are always two sides to every story. Understood. As a parent, I know that oh so well. Um, 
<laughs> I just, I guess I would like to afford you the opportunity now to either answer my question or request that we wait to see the full package. That's, I, I choose not to withdraw my question. I'll allow you to answer it as you please. Certainly. So um, I disagree with a significant amount of the content that was in the email, and that was addressed in an email back to uh, the county executive, Mr. Todd Mon. Um, and as I stated before, I do not know what documents were sent forth to Ms. Albrecht, um, or Obert, sorry. Um, therefore, I don't want to elaborate on things that I'm not fully aware of, other than the fact that I do disagree with this letter. And if there was documentation that was not set forward, um, I think everybody needs to review the packages and the emails as a whole versus an incomplete package. Fair enough. Uh, Ms. Obert is trying to uh, ask a question. I don't know. Go back to that. Well, this, in, in my opinion, and I'll refer to counsel, this is not a forum for, uh, for this until we receive the packet and we can review it. But I'm, counsel, is there... I, that it's within the discretion of the planning commission. We've had public comment. Um, Ms. Obert's uh, comments have been, have spurred some action, which is to see if the commissioners and/or the town, uh, the um, county administrator, will send around um, copies of that which was disclosed. And um, if she wishes to join in next month uh, and make further public comment when the all the documents have been reviewed by everybody, then fine. Sheila has a comment. Uh, I will say that I, I, I will be shocked if uh, Ms. Obert did not receive every document that's respons responsive to her pub public information request, because um, I think she did get every single document. And I know uh, Sheila wants to make a comment, so I'm going to mute our room. Um. One, I think we typically do afford people who do public comment to answer uh, questions that have been raised. So I, I would be glad to hear um, Ms. Obert's question. Um, and two, I don't know that it, it's not the role of the planning commission to um, dismiss another member of the planning commission. Obviously, that is the role of the commissioners to appoint or to um, ask for people to leave their positions um, for cause. It's That's not our role, and I don't think that's the question that is before us or would be before us if we defer this. Um, what is does concern me, uh, um, based on Ms. Mordock's comments, is that we are beginning uh, with a new contract firm to enter into um, – the comprehensive planning process. And I think um, delaying any kind of um, understanding of what may have derailed the initial attempt at moving forward on the comprehensive plan process only puts further delay in resolving whatever problems there might be attendant to our new effort to um, develop the comprehensive plan. So, um, to the extent that anything else that may have been in the packet that Ms. Obert received can help inform that process, um, it would seem to me to be helpful to have that sooner rather than later. 
two, two points. I'd like to hear what her comment was going to be. And two, um, I, I thank delaying for the sake of delaying, given that our role isn't to resolve an issue of a, of a, of a member's membership, um, may handicap us a bit in carrying out the role that we do have, which is to oversee the comprehensive planning process. Our Zoom, and we are back. Um, I want to be careful about what I say here because um, I think one uh, matter uh, that we are not, and you wouldn't be cognizant of this, and there's a reason for it. Um, Ms. Smith I think it's fair to say, does not, would prefer not, as I understand it, and Amy was involved in these conversations, um, how, how shall I put it? You know what I'm trying to say here. She, she, um, she would just as soon uh, this matter... Uh, be in the past because she has a professional relationship with the county, which she wishes it to continue. Um, I'm not sure that that is exactly the agenda of uh, that is that protecting isn't the right word. Uh, let's say respecting Miss Smith's decision and respecting Miss Smith's request that this matter be put behind her. That is not relieving responsibility or what uh, or or to um, uh, I'm trying to be careful here because I'm trying to respect her request, Ms. Obert. Um, so I'm not sure how bet- how better to put it than that. Okay. I'm going to mute our room. Yes, thank you. And I would just like to clarify, since you stressed that, um, Mr. Drummond, that you are trying to, you just made the statement that you're trying to respect Ms. Smith, who I don't know, and I don't know Chairman Rice Reese either, um, uh, in you're trying to respect her and putting this behind you. So if you could uh, take a note uh, from uh, Ms. Tolliver, who um, uh, I think the statement you just made is, again, it, it reaffirms what I've said throughout this process is I am just trying to make sure that the process, the comp plan process, and those involved as it continues forward um, uh, runs more smoothly and appropriately and with public input. And my question that I would leave you with, and I'm not asking for a public display of, of uh, an argument. Uh, I guess my question I would leave you with, and can you answer this, Mr. Drummond, is 
was it an unreasonable expectation that when I made a request for documents in the public interest and those were provided to me as now public documents, um, you said I, I favored Ms. Smith. Was it unreasonable to expect that the planning commission also had, would have access to the same documents? Yes, I sent an email to you with one document that uh, underscored my question, but uh, when are they going to get access to those documents? And, and for public knowledge, is it unreasonable um, for the public to expect that a commission that's involved in something such as this is also provided with the documents at the same time that the member of the public is? That's my only question. Just trying to help the process and the understanding. Thank you. I'm going to go back to our room. We are now mm -hmm. back. Are we ready for adjournment? I am. I am too. I'll make a motion to immediately adjourn. I think. It. I think Chris needs to address uh, well, Ms. Obert's comment. Ms. Obert asked the county to provide her with public. Records. Those records were provided to the requester, who was Ms. Obert. Um, is it reasonable for those public records to be disseminated more broadly? I can't say it's unreasonable. I can't say that there be any reason to do it. I can't say there are any reason that it hasn't been done before now. Um, the Planning Commission has now asked the commissioners to provide copies, and I imagine that will happen. Agreed. Okay, you have a motion. So is there any other discussion? A motion okay. on the floor, Mr. Chairman. Is there any more public comment? <coughs> no. no, that's it. Another public comment. Public comment is now closed. So, John has something. John? I just want you Oh, yes. Thank you. I had a note. So the, uh, as a reminder, the meeting next month will be at the Liberty Building, second floor. Um, this room will be used for a uh, voting elections. So we will be meeting in the Liberty Building next week or next month. Uh, who knows if we'll be doing Zoom or live or a combination of both. But... Um, We'll be at the Liberty Building next week. So if there's no other discussion, um, I have a motion on the floor and a second, I do believe. Mm -hmm. All in favor say aye. 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 All right, let me meet the room and we'll go to Sheila. Aye. <laughs> All right, so moved. Meeting is over.